Salutations. Welcome to Pod Mortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister, and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from CLSY Beacon Radio, discussing the 2008 psychological horror film, Pontypool. This film was directed by Bruce McDonald from a screenplay by Tony Burgess based upon his own novel, Pontypool Changes Everything. With a small main cast and unique ideas, Pontypool offers a refreshing take on the zombie subgenre, crafting an experience unlike anything you've ever seen before. Though it had an incredibly limited release, Pontypool was well-received by critics and has since achieved cult status. This film was recommended to us by friends of the show, Justice Bernard, Phil Marzano, Sandra Escalera, and our friends over at Girl That's Scary, Jazz, and Cat. Thank you all for your continued support, as well as this suggestion. So, Pontypool, what were your first impressions on the film? I had never seen or heard of this movie before, uh, so I'm very, very glad. And this movie was was good. I was very, very surprised. <laughs> it had me in, I will say, in the first five minutes, I was had. Wow. And I was like, okay, let's, you know, let's get going. But I don't want to make it. I I don't want to make the expectations too high. I don't want to think this is a phenomenal movie. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But it was a good movie. Going into it, I figured that you would either enjoy this a lot mm-hmm. or completely hate it. Right. And so I'm again. You're a wild card. <laughs> <laughs> I was very glad to hear that you enjoyed it. Well, good. <laughs> I thought it was super unique i'd never seen it before either and i had never heard of it until people started asking for it Mm. and the people that were asking for it i'm like this has to be good like this movie has to be good and uh i enjoyed it i was confused a lot of the time but i kind of like that not knowing what the hell's going on or what's Mm -hmm. about to happen or i really enjoyed it i feel like it's a damn ride Mm -hmm. uh the vast majority of it takes place in one location, which I always appreciate. Um, it's like claustrophobic, but not like as above, so below, stuck in a tunnel <laughs> yeah. claustrophobic. Um, the acting is great. It's such a unique idea. Mm-hmm. It's not the most amazing film ever made or anything like that, but it's so short and it definitely packs a punch. I felt like it was really, it was, I liked it. Oh, I thought yeah. it was really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had actually only seen it once before. I watched it with our parents, I think, when it came out. Oh, wow. And I just remember thinking, well, that was weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think the older I get, the more I can like dig into it and really appreciate it for what it is. Right. Like It's a very unique idea. Mm. And especially when you're looking at the zombie subgenre, like everything's been done already. Right. And so yeah. this is like a really interesting way to take it, you know? But to your point about not really knowing what was going to happen next. Yeah. It's a refreshing feeling. Oh, yeah. Because I'm not saying like we're horror scholars by any means at all, but we've all watched so much horror that we can kind of find the tropes. Yeah. We know what's coming next. For sure. A lot of them follow a very, uh, it's like formulaic. Right. And so you're like, okay, this is the part where blah, blah, blah. This is, there was none, there was, for me, there was none of that here. There were several moments where I'm like, I don't know what the yeah. fuck. Yeah. <laughs> In going my notes, on. there are several points where it's just a question mark. Yeah. <laughs> I did since it had been so long since I watched it. It was kind of like a first watch for me again. Mm-hmm. I didn't even remember how it ended. Uh-huh. The only thing I did remember was the post-credit scene, which we will talk about and get to. 
Yeah. Which was a question mark yeah. in my notes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have two theories that I'm going to present. Okay. And I, I'm interested to see what you subscribe to. All right. But I will admit, I do have some issues with some stuff in this film. Mm-hmm. But I think that this time around, I noticed a bit of social commentary that I don't see anybody talking about anywhere. All right. And I really want to dig into that as we go a little further. Mm-hmm. I have a proposal for maybe a thinly veiled message that's trying to be conveyed here. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if ours match up. It probably did. We'll see. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I did want to talk a little bit about the novel, which I have not read, but I do like whenever the author comes in and writes the screenplay for their own work. Yeah, definitely. I read on KPBS that the director McDonald had said that as far as the book is concerned, mm-hmm. they just took the central idea and mainly called upon the radio drama, H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. Yeah. And I feel that a lot. Yeah. yeah. This is, a. they made a radio drama version of this too. It's actually on YouTube. Mm. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't read the book either. I will say, and this is not my own opinion because I just said I didn't read the book. <laughs> <but> <laughs> everything that I've read has said that the film was much more successful in executing the premise. Mm. Right. See, what I kind of got from it, what I read from that article, Mm -hmm. is they had kind of said that almost like you guys know World War Z. Right. Yeah. Well, the book World War Z was basically like a collection of like writings and stuff from what I understand. Okay. It was like letters and diary entries and stuff like that. That's kind of what the Pontypool book is from what I've read. And so they kind of did the same thing World War Z did, which was let's just not do that (laughs) (laughs) and just kind of take two things and make it our own. Right. I've heard, though, funny because the friend of ours, Sandra, that recommended the film to us has talked to me a lot about World War Z, how the book is so much better than the film. (laughs) So maybe (laughs) this is like the inverse of that. It's like anti-World War Z. (laughs) I just think it's so interesting that he's the one that wrote the screenplay based on his own book and they changed so much. Well, maybe he saw the feedback from the book and he was like, well... (laughs) Sorry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before we infect this film's vocabulary, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, let's start the broadcast. So the film begins with a few opening credits before we see a blue waveform stretch across the blackness of the screen. We hear the deep voice of Grant Mazzy, played by Stephen McHattie, tell his listeners that Mrs. French's cat is missing and there are signs all over town. He says nobody had seen Honey the Cat until last Thursday when Miss Colette Pincine swerved to miss hitting the cat while driving across a bridge called Pont de Flac. From here, things kind of get a little odd. A, a little? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say very quickly, perfect radio voice. The best. I was oh, like, yeah. this dude was like born to be on the radio. Yeah. And there's something really unnerving because it's just the blue, like it's black. Right. And then it's just a little blue like line. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Remember that how, uh, Treehouse of Horror of the Simpsons whenever they... Blip, 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 blip. There was just something, I don't know, something unnerving about it. And then when you get into where it kind of devolves into nothing, yeah. right. I was creeped out and I don't fully know why. I, I just think that for some reason, like this seems somewhat nonsensical, mm-hmm. but the more he elaborates, the creepier it feels. Kind of like the butterfly effect or something, right? Where shit just, yeah. yeah. Just, <laughs> Honestly, 
This it, is how conspiracies are born. Yeah. yeah. And I will get into it. Just for, a <laughs> for some reason, it made me think of, you remember PT? The yeah. what could have been right. um, when the paper bag is talking to you. Oh, I yeah. don't know why it made me think of that, but <laughs> it was like the same. This is fucking weird and something's not right feeling that yeah. I got from the paper bag. <laughs> <laughs> I also read that in early stages of development of this film, this was going to be the film. See, and this I is like just the the sound wave against a black background. Right. That was going to be it. I think that people would be sitting in the theater like, when is yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> After 30 minutes, son of a yeah. bitch. <laughs> but Grant continues. He says, Colette sounds like culotte, which means panty in French, and pincine means pool. So panty pool. Flack also means pool in French. So pont de pool. Panty pool drives over the ponte pool to avoid Mrs. French's cat that's been missing in ponte pool. He asks, what does it mean? A circle then opens up in the waveform and we slowly get the title ponte pool. The first letters spelling typo as the waveform turns to snowfall. This is when he says that Norman Mailer, the writer, had a theory about coincidences and how when something big happens, small things somehow appear related. So in his estimation, something big is about to happen. But really, something is always about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's frightening. It's yeah. true. It's frightening because it's true. And it's like, I think this opening from Jump, I'm like, this is going to be very interesting. Right. But it's also going to be pretty confusing. Yeah. And strange. Yes. You can already tell. Yeah. Because I'm like, your panties? What? Like, what, yeah. what is he talking about? <laughs> this is pervert talking about. <laughs> But we then cut to Grant on the phone in his car, driving through the snowstorm. Now, this is when I recognize him. I'm like, dude, you're fucking Hollis Mason from Watchmen. Watchmen, yeah. yeah. The original Night Owl. Right. Just pretty badass, man. <laughs> yeah. But he's arguing on the phone with his agent, a guy called Rick, before unceremoniously firing him and hanging up on him. He throws his phone to the floor, saying that they're both in the same boat now. And you're like, oh, shit, there's history. Yeah. Yeah. But we hear a broadcast of obituaries coming from the radio as his phone rings on the floor of the car. Grant pulls over and reaches for it, but gets jump scared by a woman's hand pounding on the passenger side window. Spooky woman, played by Laura Norton, <laughs> <laughs> mutters something at him, and he rolls down the window and calls out to her as she backs away, just disappearing into the snow and darkness. See, here, by this point, I was like, all right, I want to see what's happening. You're already in. Yeah, I... Because if you're not willing to like, hey, hey, let me in, let me in, something's wrong, and you yeah. just wander off, you're you feel safer out there. Nah, I, I gotta get <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, the way yeah. she was moving was really weird yeah. too. And I'm like, I don't know if she's wanting help, but I'm I'm sorry, dude. Yeah, like, I gotta go. I'll call somebody to come check. I'm fucking gone. Like, oh, I'm yeah. a ghost. It's like, well, I'm gonna drive into town and say, yeah, good <laughs> fucking bye. I, I saw a lady on the road back there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> several miles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're, we're like. Uh, in the mouth of madness where he's like we'll let them know when we get yeah. down <laughs> but we got to go uh yeah i think it's the look in her eyes as well yeah and the fact that okay so she's muttering something and he can't hear because the window's up yeah he rolls down the window and he still can't understand what the fuck yeah. she's saying yeah it's eerie it is and it's just like this i don't want to say mundane because i would be fucking scared if it happened in real life but like it's it's somebody knocking on his window and then kind of walking away but the way that they frame it uh -huh. it's yeah. like she's almost like a harbinger mm -hmm. like you said yeah, something yeah. is about to happen and the snow oh yeah. yeah it just adds to it somehow 
I, I don't know where you're getting mundane from, man. Yeah, no, right? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen to you. I think I think if this happened to me, I'd be on my deathbed and be like, and there was a lady. <laughs> <laughs> that was 60 years ago, Grandpa. <laughs> Just give her the sponge cake yeah. from your bosom. Yeah, like, yeah. There you go. <laughs> and as I turn to eat it. No. <laughs> but Grant's voice that he screamed like strangely echoes back at him. Mm-hmm. And he just rolls up his window and continues driving to work. I thought the echoes sounded like distorted. Yeah. It did. So it's just adding, it's like layers of just weird. Mm -hmm. But he parks in his reserved space at the CLSY radio station, an old broadcast of him reading off children's birthdays, playing over an intercom as he heads inside. Now, I laughed out loud because he's reading the birthdays from a daycare center. Yeah. And the daycare center is called Tiny People's Little People. (laughs) (laughs) They put in a lot of thought. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But once inside, Grant steps downstairs, kind of psyching himself up to be positive before entering the studio. Me every morning before work. No shit, dude. You got a whole Say mantra. my affirmations. Yeah. But there he's greeted by Laurel Ann Drummond, his technical assistant played by Georgina Riley. Do, is it just me? Do y'all remember JoJo? Like. Get out. Oh, right yeah. Now. That, she looked like her to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, I thought you were talking about Mojo JoJo. From- <laughs> I was like, no, she did. She looks just like her. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you sang the song. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were talking about Casey and JoJo. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I just felt so it. You were way off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Laurel Ann says that she dug his piece this morning about coincidences, and Grant tells her that it takes a girl with big feet to dig Norman Mailer. I do not know what that means. Yeah. I, I don't know. I googled it because i was trying to figure out and i got some very interesting search results oh um, wow <laughs> sure that was for the yeah. movie sure and moving on so <laughs> i feel like he's got a cool voice so he can get away with it like yeah, if, if a normal person yeah. said that, i'd be like what the fuck is that supposed to and mean and he called him old norm i was yeah. like this is just a bad you're just cool but he asks if she got him the good stuff and she motions to a drawer under the desk where he retrieves a bottle of liquor I, I thought it was some icky sticky. I was like, ah. Well, the way he was talking earlier. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Grant, what you be doing? I mean, on air? Yeah. <laughs> but he then asks her to look up info about 911 calls, how many are made, how many of them are hangups, etc. He thanks her and then heads into the booth, sitting down in front of his mic. He holds up an envelope and gestures to Laurel Ann through the window. We don't know what it is yet, but we'll know later. But we then get shots of his desk, which include a fish tank and a little figure of one of the Ramones. I think it's Joey. I don't know the Ramones. <laughs> <laughs> but he pops open the bottle, pouring some into his coffee as the advertisements end and he hears his lead in. He pops on his headphones and Laurel Ann turns up the mixer. He begins the broadcast with that goddamn fantastic radio voice. Mm-hmm. He introduces himself, saying that he takes no prisoners, but he does take a sip of coffee. I thought that he kind of sounded like Johnny Cash on that episode of The Simpsons where he's the coyote. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. I was like, it, that's the mindset that I had. I was like. Fucking cool yeah. as shit. Yeah. <laughs> the epitome I, of cool. I, that's not at all where I went. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he does have a really good radio voice. Mm-hmm. But later on, uh, he uh, later on, uh, he kind of sounds like uh, 
Norman Osborn. Oh, so like, I was like, uh, I was like, calm down, dude. The Green Goblin. Yeah, <laughs> like Willem Dafoe. Well, hold on. That's he's got Green a good Goblin voice too, though. He does. He does. But, well, he gets he gets really pissed in them. <laughs> oh, he does. Only yeah. when he was playing. Yeah, the Green only when he's mad. <laughs> what I love is when he's mad in the mirror at himself. Yeah. <laughs> Same though. Yeah. <laughs> Relatable content. Every single morning. <laughs> but Grant tells his listeners to take a look outside, calling it today's top story. He then recounts the strange experience he had on his way to work this morning, and we see flashes of the woman at his car window. He says a little later he'll have audience participation to answer the question When do you call 911? I feel like that's a really good conversation yeah. starter, though. It made me laugh because I'm like, he he was going to go to the studio. He's like, I got nothing this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, lady. Yeah. Yeah. No. Thanks for accosting me. <laughs> <laughs> but just then, Sidney Breyer, his producer played by Lisa Howell, arrives and sits down in front of a microphone next to Laurel Ann. Now, very interesting thing that I found out. Mm -hmm. Stephen McHattie, the actor who plays Grant Mazzy, and Lisa Howell, the actor who plays Sidney Breyer, mm -hmm. they're married in real life. Oh, shit. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. <laughs> I don't know why I love that I shit. I do, too. Oh, yeah. And, like, they have a good chemistry. Yeah. So, it's it's got to be easier. Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean? yeah. yeah. I mean, will you guys do a show together? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Well, yeah, but the cameras and the acting, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's a lot. And, I mean, I will say, obviously, no spoiler alert, but they go through a lot of changes in this film. Yeah. That's one thing that I like is they kind of do, even though the film gets weird as shit, they kind of have a character arc. Yeah. They do. Yeah. <laughs> they do. But Grant then shares that Laurel Ann did a tour of duty in Afghanistan recently. And as he says this, we get a shot of the envelope that he was holding earlier. It has Laurel Ann's name written on it in cursive, along with a heart-shaped sticker. This is when I should also point out that the studio is decorated for Valentine's Day. Right. I didn't notice that at first. No. And then uh, I was watching it and I was like, hey, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and this is coming out on Valentine's yeah. Day. I wonder yeah, if that was planned. I don't know. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day, y'all. Yeah, fantastic. Yes. Great day for everyone, especially the singles. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the thing that gets me is that Valentine's Day seems like it has nothing to do with this. Right. But later it it makes so much sense that it takes place on Valentine's Day. And you guys are looking at me funny. I yeah. am. Okay, I will explain yeah. that. Okay. I promise. But Sydney says that Laurel Ann's service is yesterday's news, considering Laurel Ann was the grandmaster of the fall parade last year. She's then corrected as Laurel Ann wasn't the grandmaster. She was actually the homecoming hero. Sydney apologizes for her mistake, and Grant makes a moment out of the apology, saying that she probably owes Laurel Ann many more. <laughs> I laughed because Sydney gives the wrap-up sign. She's like, that's, like, that's enough. enough. <laughs> <laughs> but he also called her girl, which does not sit well. No. But Grant continues. The top story, the cold front coming in, which he describes with very flowery, but very dreary and depressing language. He calls it like, blow your brains out, fucking... I was going to say, is he even allowed to say that? I get he sounds cool or whatever, but... He, <laughs> You're like, there's you, a lie. Yeah, can you really say it's that cold outside? I want to blow my fucking brains out. It's morning like, radio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Grant is seasonally depressed. Yes. And he's like... Right, guys? Yeah. <laughs> well, there are some times that I say shit and realize I've gone too far after I've yeah. said it. Like, we all want to... I mean, what? Never mind. Never, never mind. Never mind. I'm, I was just kidding. It was all a joke, guys. Yeah. I'm just... LOL. Dark humor. <laughs> but Sydney looks even more annoyed as he continues making a joke about greenhouse gases, but then he cuts to Ken Loney, the weatherman in a chopper played by Rick Roberts. 
We hear helicopter blades in the background as they chat about the weather. Grant kind of antagonizing him a little bit. Mm -hmm. It seemed like he was facetiously asking if he's safe in the chopper. Yeah. Uh, He says that he wouldn't want to be up there in a storm and all this stuff. But what we learn later, it's kind of conflicting. Yeah, it is. But Sydney speaks into his earpiece, telling him to lay off Ken and to also never call her girl on the air again. Laureland defends Grant with a laugh, saying that she thinks that he's genuinely concerned about Ken. Ken then signs off, and Grant shifts to breaking news out of Caesarea. I like the little news beat thing. And then even as like a little monkey toy. Get the drum roll for dramatic effect. But he shares that out of Ontario, the police have busted a suburban grow operation. They cut to a soundbite of Constable Howard Ng describing the growing trend of these operations in suburban neighborhoods. Off mic, Grant teases Sydney, asking if she smokes pot. She says she does, but tells him not to make any global warming jokes on the air. He says he was quoting the Bible and she chuckles. I was like, I don't remember that. (laughs) But she reminds him that they're broadcasting from a church, not a dungeon. I didn't quite get that either. Yeah. I, was, I think she's like lighten up, dude. Yeah. Oh. Like, this is morning radio. Was he like, are, uh, she's like, you're being a monster. <laughs> <laughs> like people are on their commutes. They don't That's need true. this shit. That is fair. <laughs> They're doing their affirmations. Yeah. Okay, like lighten up. But after Ing's bit is finished, Grant hops back on the mic discussing local pot growers and their arsenals of landmines and assault weapons. <laughs> It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Can you just, just add not? Yeah, I was like, dude, you're becoming a problem. You're pushing it. <laughs> yeah. this, at this point, this is when I was like, because the phone call at the beginning. Right. So he was fired and had to come here. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I'm taking. And yeah, so he's, that's what I got. he's the new guy, mm-hmm. which makes the dynamic a little interesting to me because Laurel Ann and Sydney have worked together, mm-hmm. but Laurel Ann's still like, no, I want to hear what this guy has to say. Yeah. Like, now, <laughs> I think that that thing, from what I understand, it seems like Grant might have been kind of famous. Right. Mm-hmm. And so him coming to Pontypool is a huge it's deal. It's like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I got. Like for, yeah. for, for yeah, uh, yeah. Pontypool. Pontypool. So, I mean, I get why. And if I was like 22 years old or something and a fucking celebrity is working yeah. with me, it's like, like, no, let, let him speak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Sydney does tell him to chill and he just keeps going. He sets up a nightmare scenario of a child accidentally throwing a baseball through one of their windows and triggering a death squad. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> so he's fucking on one today. He's like, we're going to get that kid. <laughs> it seems like a lot. But Sydney tries to reel him in, telling him no one cares. And he's like, oh, no one cares? Well, I think they do. And this is when he reminds his listeners that he takes no prisoners. And since he won't pivot to school closures, Sydney just outright cuts him off, sending it over to a recorded program. Well, kids need to know if they're going to school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, it's like you can do your little rant. Yeah. Like, can we do this? <laughs> the kids are like, yeah, no baseball's got yeah. it. But <laughs> am I going to school today? <laughs> is the bus coming or not? Nah? <laughs> but Grant is furious, and Sydney admonishes him, allowing us to learn that this whole take no prisoners shtick actually got him fired from a larger market. Mm. He defends himself, saying that he was just trying to build a relationship with his listeners, but Sydney reminds him that they're a small town and need to stick to local news, weather, all that standard kind of boring jazz, honestly. Yeah. I get that, but I feel like Grant has an air about him mm-hmm. that you know what you're getting. 
You hired it's him. It's like not yeah. to the point of like shock jock, but like right. It's coming up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I got like sterny vibes. Exactly. <laughs> like, no, take no. Pr- it's like yeah. this dude. This is what he does. So maybe like I get you're excited to have a big name or whatever, but mm-hmm. maybe this isn't a good fit. <laughs> <laughs> we need to reevaluate. Yeah. This, uh. <laughs> but Grant says that he's trying to piss people off because a pissed off listener doesn't change the station. Then that pissed off listener calls another pissed off listener. And that cycle continues until you build a loyal audience. Laurel Ann smiles, and the sad thing is he's totally right. Yeah, that's what I put in my notes. Sadly, he's not wrong. No. (laughs) He's like like spot on, actually. Oh, an entire media corporation in this country that's made billions of dollars. From hate watching. Yeah. Yeah. But Sydney tells him that that's great and all, but small towns don't go for that shit. And if he continues on with that persona, he's going to alienate and embarrass himself, and everyone's just going to think he's a dick, which is also true. Yeah. But she tells him that he's doing a great job. They hired him for a reason. She loves his mazziness. She just needs that mazziness at a manageable level. I don't, I just feel, I don't know. (laughs) I feel like this isn't a good fit. (laughs) This is not the type of dude, and we barely know him, but you can already tell. You can't reel him in. No, he's not the one to be reeled in. Yeah, but if he just got fired for doing this exact same thing, you would think maybe. I guess maybe. That is true. (laughs) Maybe take a look at yourself. (laughs) Maybe calm down a little bit, dude. The calls are coming from inside the Uh, house. Yeah. I kind of laughed because it wasn't even just that he was disobeying her. Yeah. He was like, I got my producer in my ear telling you me that yeah, you don't care yeah. well guess what I was like dude you're gonna get fired today <laughs> but Grant to his credit understands albeit solemnly and he says that he's ready to go back on the air Laurel Ann as Nay said was interested in the rant but Sydney says that he was probably just gonna somehow make it about himself damn yeah I know I was like he can still hear you dude. Back on the air, Grant says that he wants to talk about something that's been bugging him all morning. We then cut to a shot of a lost poster for Honey the Cat that is stapled to a post, one unstapled corner just whipping in the cold wind of the snowstorm. We also hear Grant's echoing, who are you, that he shouted at that woman earlier. Now, that poster, the cat poster, Mm -hmm. it had a real number on it. Right. And so I wanted to Google it, and it turns out it's the number for Shadow Shows, Inc., which is the production company of the director of this film. Uh, (laughs) So I thought that was awesome. I just, seeing the missing poster, Mm -hmm. it said that Honey is affectionate. I was just like, I don't care how this ends as long as Honey is home safe. (laughs) If the end of the film is just the cat licking its paw. That's my singular focus. (laughs) But Grant tells the story of what happened this morning with the woman. Sydney listens as a teapot shrieks in the background behind her. After finishing the tale of the woman's incoherent babbling and disappearance through the snow, Grant asks his listeners, so what does he do? Does he call 911? He then gives the station number, complete with the 555, because movies. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, we already used the real number on the the cat poster. But as he cuts to local ads, Laurel Ann immediately gets a call into the station, but when she asks for a message to relay to Grant, her face goes sour. She's like, I'm sorry, what? And then hangs up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, what did the person on the phone yeah. say? Yeah. Also, as Grant is talking and Sydney's making her tea or whatever, there's some really, really great piano playing here. Yeah. Yes. Like, I was like, yeah. the music is fucking <laughs> killing it. Yeah. Was I the only one getting like Silent Hill vibes? No. No. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. The second time I watched it, I rewatched it. Yeah. And I was like, this is. Yeah, yeah. it was really fucking good. 
But Sydney asks her if Mrs. Tripp has called in yet and finds out that she hasn't, which is weird because apparently she never misses a day. Mm -hmm. So again, weird shit piling up. Right. She also asks where a guy called Roger is because it's almost 10 a.m. I'm assuming he's another employee. Right. But we never hear or see. No. I assumed he was like a regular caller. Oh, like Mrs. Tripp. Yeah. Oh, all right. I thought it was too, like another person supposed to be there. Yeah. I mean, who, kn- I, who knows? Because it's just them two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, doing running the whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a radio station. <laughs> <laughs> but she, and there, we learned there's a desk upstairs that looked like it's reception, but nobody ever yeah. is yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> but Sydney opens up a Valentine's Day card from Grant, handing it off to Laurel Ann. But as she leaves to go call Mrs. Tripp, she tells Laurel Ann that something is coming through on the radio. Laurel Ann listens in as a woman says there's a code 48 at the fish hut and there are weapons present. Sydney learns from Laurel Ann that a code 48 is a hostage situation. There's nothing on the wire yet, so Sydney says to hold off and to not feed it to Grant yet. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Laurel yeah. Ann's like, duh, whoops. <laughs> yeah, but you're just being a dick now, dude. You, yeah, well, you knew better. She was literally typing while Sydney yeah, was talking. She, yeah. <laughs> you knew better than to do that shit. She did. Don't what? Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. You've worked here long enough yeah. to know. <laughs> but we see him eyeing the screen at this tasty treat of a story that Laurel Ann <laughs> obviously fucking sent in. But some guy called Gord calls in, suggesting a number that's not for total emergencies, a 912 number, and he says that it really might catch on. I mean, aren't there non-emergency numbers for the police? I think there are. Yeah. But 912, it's yeah. easy to remember. <laughs> if, if you're in the stonecutters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Grant kindly agrees, but rushes him off to dive into the story that Laurel Ann just sent to him. He tells his listeners that there is a hostage situation with two men holding a van load of people at gunpoint. As he elaborates with more detail, Sidney tells him to kill the story and to just cut to Ken and the chopper. But of course, he continues. But after halfway admonishing him and telling him to end the segment, she then jokes that since it's the end of ice fishing season, that might be what caused the hostage situation. And he immediately uses that as speculation yeah, on the broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> Sydney. <laughs> I don't. I'm confused. <laughs> but he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, great, great, yeah. great. <laughs> they're drunks. They're all yeah, drunks. they're all drunks, everybody. He does posit that they might be drunk. In fact, he says the Ontario Provincial Police are probably drunk, too. Sydney puts her head in her hands as he says the possibly drunk police have said that the situation has resolved itself. They have two suspects in custody, unarmed, and the people they were holding hostage have apparently taken off. He then names the officers who made the arrest, saying he hopes to learn more as the story hiccups. I mean, it's pretty good. Because <laughs> he's thinking on his feet. Yeah. Because yes. it's all bullshit. Like, I don't even know. But Sydney tells him to wrap it up, and he finally cuts to Ken in the Sunshine Chopper, taking off his headset for a short break. Sydney joins him in the booth, and he cannot contain his laughter, telling her that they need to learn to laugh at themselves. <laughs> Sydney says that it isn't funny. The two officers that he named, one of them being her ex brother in law, actually are alcoholics trying to keep their jobs. Yikes. Yeah, I, I laughed because Grant just goes, "Ouch!" It's yeah. like, this is not a laughing matter. No, damn. It's like fucking My Frank. Yeah. Like, see it, girl. <laughs> <laughs> but this is when Sydney levels with him for a moment. Ken Loney is not in a helicopter. The Sunshine Chopper is Ken's Dodge Dart. 
How embarrassing. Yeah. It's very embarrassing. Because she's like, he uses sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> she says he sits up on a hill, yeah. gets himself an aerial view, yeah. and plays sound effects. Mm. But she says that people are thrilled to listen. Grant just laughs it off, confiding in Sydney that he hates the winter. Now, this is where I was like, but he was kind of antagonizing, dude. Yeah. It seemed like he knew that it wasn't a real chopper. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just right. a dick. Yeah. <laughs> because it does, I... I think yeah he was just being an asshole because when she tells him he's like wow this is like the wind comes yeah. out of his sails like yeah. he's like this is fucking rinky dink like yeah. look at where I'm at he really well <laughs> he's like I got fired from that big gig but at least this place does a chopper yeah. <laughs> like, you don't have a fucking yeah. chopper oh my god <laughs> the mighty have fallen <laughs> but he says it makes him feel like he's living in the basement of the world when it's the winter Sydney tells him that he's gonna be okay and even extends an olive branch when the whole fish hut hostage story comes in confirmed, he can do whatever he wants with it, even his take no prisoners shtick. He asks if she'll find it funny this time, and she says that she'll find it just as funny as she found it last time. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought this was a nice, like, human moment. Yeah. Because you got the, like, larger than life shock jock right. sharing his feelings. Yeah. And then you got the stick in the mud producer that's allowing him to have a little fun. Right. I feel like she saw or she felt that she humbled him yeah and so she's like okay if you want to you know do your thing whatever like because he really <laughs> looked uh, very he, upset he did. <laughs> the chopper like, not no chopper <laughs> <laughs> but we then cut to a shot of four clocks all labeled with different town names showing the exact same time 9 30 a.m usually multiple clocks are for yeah right? time zones <laughs> like look pontypool's small all right <laughs> But Grant pours himself another drink as the on-air light comes on. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a drink, uh -huh. you know, a mimosa or whatever. But that's why... You mean I, in the morning? Yeah. Yeah. You keep drinking. That's yeah. why you're mad, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Plot twist. Yeah, this is... like maybe one, you know, mm -hmm. take the edge off kind of whatever. But uh, you don't need to keep going, dude. And, and it's funny because he's like, I bet the fishermen are alcoholics and the cops too. Yeah. Glug, 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 glug. <laughs> Fucking Two Sandra Lake. <laughs> But Sydney tells Laurel Ann that she talked to Constable Roseland, one of the cops that Grant named, and he wants them to drop the story that they're covering. She says something happened this morning and it's put them all into a state, but she's sure it's probably nothing, maybe even just a hoax. But she says they're going to brighten up the day with the Lawrence of Arabia cast coming in later. She then gets a call from Ken, scribbling down a note for Laurel Ann to take into Grant. She says to just can the segment that he's on now because there's a big breaking news story coming in. The news music plays in the background as Grant cuts in. It's so great. And he tells his listeners that it appears an unruly crowd has gathered outside the offices of Dr. John Mendez in protest. Mendez recently was under investigation for writing unnecessary prescriptions. He then brings in Ken, reluctantly saying that he's broadcasting live <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from the Sunshine Chopper. He's like, do I still got to fucking... Did <laughs> he did not want to yeah. say that. No, but you could tell Sydney appreciated it. Yeah. <laughs> but Ken says that there are hundreds of people outside the building trying to break in. But then suddenly, after a crashing noise, he says there's been an outward explosion from the building. He says people have been killed down there and are currently being trampled. When asked, Ken says there are no police trying to restore order, but out of nowhere, he says a convoy of military vehicles have appeared on the scene, along with a chopper that is uh, at his two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's also in the air. Yeah. <laughs> 
but he says that he has to leave, but the road is blocked. I was like, I thought you were in the fucking yeah. air. <laughs> the air road. <laughs> <laughs> then he said, like, I got a backup. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know choppers that are. Like, stick to the script. Yeah. <laughs> but Grant tells him to stay safe. But Ken's like, there are a lot of fatalities down there. They then lose Ken. That was unsettling yeah yes. he said they're like three miles away from his ass it was like, yeah oh, no. it came out of nowhere yeah but realizing all of this is unconfirmed so far they have to tread lightly with their continued coverage like jp said we learned that the riot has taken place five kilometers away from the studio it's about three miles america yeah because we're like the only fucking yeah. country <laughs> that won't give with the program <laughs> unfortunately yeah and it's funny to me because so far it's been like little like bits of weirdness right but this is just something that cannot be ignored. oh no yeah, yeah. this is not mundane it is yeah. not <laughs> mundane. <laughs> but grant recaps the story and on sydney's direction sends it to a recording of ken's account of the events after a quote from roland bartz describing trauma as a news photo without a caption i hope i said that french name correctly yeah <laughs> It might have been Roland Bart. I took German. <laughs> <laughs> but Laurel Ann makes calls, attempting to get some confirmation on the story, and behind them, we see a group of people descending the staircase. It's the cast of Lawrence of Arabia, along with Nancy Freethy, played by Beatrice Yusta. The guy that's playing Lawrence is actually played by Tony Burgess, who's the writer of the film. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was very funny. He's like, I'm going to be in this. Yes. <laughs> The rest of the cast is Jay, played by Boyd Banks, and the kids are Maureen, played by Hannah Fleming, and Colleen, played by Rachel Burns. Yes, most of them are in brownface. I was, yeah, I, I was, was like, are we gonna, when are we uh, going to talk about I, this? I was going to say, did we need to paint the faces? No, we did not. Like, like you could have done that just in costume or, you know. Yeah. You didn't need to, you didn't need yeah, to do really that. Yeah, it was really bad. What is this recurring theme? That's the this second, the second yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> and as many weeks or in uh, three weeks. That I've led. Yes. Right. Because even, <laughs> even the kids were like that. Yeah. yeah. No, it was like, bad. Oh, man. It was bad. And it gets even weirder later because I think that Jay is supposed to be. We'll talk. Okay. Yeah, all right, all right. I don't like it. Okay. No. <laughs> but Grant pops out of the booth asking if they've heard anything from Ken and they haven't. Sydney says that they're going to work their sources to find something concrete to put on the air. But in the meantime, she wants him to interview the cast of Lawrence of Arabia. He's like, are you fucking kidding yeah, me? Yeah. That would piss me off. The story that we were just yeah. telling, mm-hmm. Ken was on the air. Yeah. yeah. He was cut off and it's like, now guys. It's yeah. like, no, you can't. There is no transition to get to these fucking idiots and these black fucking, these uh, fucking uh, racist yeah. children <laughs> <laughs> i just don't read the room Sydney. Yeah. that's all i'm saying she says they're going to be interviewed and sing a song and she just asks him to do his job people get bumped all the time yeah, yeah. y'all have been bumped yeah. i'm sorry <laughs> i've heard famous people getting bumped yes. yeah. shows. we can bump this fucking racist cat. <laughs> <laughs> but grant's furious saying this isn't what the audience wants to hear right now She pacifies him, saying that they're going to dig up a story during the interview, and incensed, he invites the cast into his booth. While the cast sings, Grant's phone rings. It's his old, fired agent, Rick. He holds the phone up, ironically, to the singing cast so Rick can hear how far Grant's career has fallen. (laughs) He's like, you see what they're doing? (laughs) (laughs) Sydney and Laurel Ann scramble for info, trying to get something from eyewitnesses on the ground. As the song comes to an end, and after some very offensive stuff from Grant and Jay, yeah. Grant says, fuck you to Rick, hangs up, and goes back on the air. So he literally called dude Osama. 
And he, this is Lawrence of Arabia, but he's dressed in military, like, fatigue garb. He's got that fake beard on. He's got brown face, and he fires a fake machine gun. Yeah, I I don't know what the fuck is going on. My note is, what is this fucking bit? Yeah. Because it didn't hit. No, it's not (laughs) working. It did not land. What in the stealing oils from other countries is going on here? (laughs) What what the fuck? I was like, what are you? (laughs) What in the unnecessary war is happening? What in the lying about WMDs? I was like, what the fuck? I was like, really, dude? I was like, oh, man. I I just, I, I think the thing in this, to me, this segment is a big hit for the film for me. Because I don't know, I don't understand no, how yeah. it fits into anything. I, I mean, oh, you uh, mean, it, it yeah. okay. No, I don't I mean, mean, this no, is no, a hit. Yeah. I was no. like, D, what? I mean, this is a knock against no, the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And okay. I think the thing is, is that I don't understand how it fits into the themes that they're trying to use. Yeah. Or if it's supposed to be a weird bit of comedy that just doesn't land. I, I think it's supposed, I, I would think that, yeah, maybe it was supposed to be funny. Like the juxtaposition of something is happening and it sounds like it's ramping up, but no, we got to do this stupid fucking thing because we're a small radio station and this is what the people want. Right. But they could have, it could have been a children's choir. It could have been fucking a comedy bit. It could have been anything, but it was this. That's what I I don't under, I think it is supposed to be funny, but it's just not, that's not funny. It could have been like a fucking, uh, anything, a pie eating contest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you know, so I just don't understand why they went here. Yeah. A biting contest? <laughs> I don't know. I would have rather seen that. Yeah. I'd rather they had blue face than fucking. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> this racist bullshit. <laughs> I even listened to the director's commentary. Right. And they literally just kind of glossed over this part. I'm like, no, explain yeah. it. Even if you're like, yeah, we fucked up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're sorry. We guys. should have yeah. done this. But no, and I know that in Lawrence of Arabia, they also use brown face. Right. That doesn't mean in 2008. No, don't do that. It just get the fact that that was really not that long ago. And they're like, no, this is fine. Yeah. yeah. Lawrence of Arabia. It's, it's okay. I'm so just confused. Put, sit in the chair and let us put this on. It's like, <laughs> no, it's just baffling. And I don't think there's a Lawrence of Arabia musical because the song that they sang in the credits is credited to Tony Burgess. So he wrote it. <laughs> oh my god! And in all fairness, it sounds like he's fucking improving <laughs> as he's singing. <laughs> he starts scatting in one yeah. part. <laughs> like that part yeah. wasn't. It's weird. Very confusing. But after Grant goes back on the air, he introduces the cast and the song they just sang. Just then, Maureen, one of the kids, says that she can't remember how it ends. Grant's like, "Remember how what ends?" Maureen says it just keeps starting over and over, and it's not called the Lawrence and the Table. And then she just keeps repeating the sound pra, pra, over and over. You can leave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you sang a horrible yeah, song. Right. You're incredibly <laughs> offensive. She's like, is this lead paint? <laughs> <laughs> Good day to you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but Tony holds her and Grant's like, okay. Yeah. I mean, what the fuck do you do? Yeah. Um, honestly. Yeah. This is how y'all roll in Ponte? Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> I did think that like this is one of, again, a v- very eerie moment. Mm-hmm. because the kid looks like it really hurts her to be this confused yeah. yeah and you're like what the fuck is happening right but at this point laurel ann gets a call from a guy called steve van denzen on the line who says he's at the mendez office no word from ken still but sydney says she's gonna try to keep calling constable roseland on break and popping open his bottle again grant says that there's something weird going on with maureen 
But we watch the cast ascend the staircase behind Sydney and Laurel Ann, and Sydney tells Grant that he did great on the interview. As a reward, despite the lack of info on The Wire, they've got 10 eyewitnesses and they're going live with Steve Van Dinsen. Grant is ready as fuck. And they kind of have a moment here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it feels like things are gelling, and I think that they might make love later. <laughs> <laughs> like, there was something sexy about shit coming together. I don't know. I feel like it can't hurt that they already in real life bring their chemistry to the table. Yeah, for sure. Because you're kind of like, it's not in the way where it's like, oh, clearly this is the romantic lead. No, yeah. uh-huh. But you're like, what, what yeah, was that? Yeah. What was that? Because they were just at each other's throats. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, this is... Yeah. <laughs> it's getting steamy in the studio, guys. <laughs> it's Shit's Valentine's going Day. Down. Yeah. yeah. It's in the air. They're inspired by the day. <laughs> but Grant welcomes back the listeners recounting the events so far. He then gets Steve on the line, but all we hear is static and him screaming, no, and get out. They promptly cut the line. It sounded bad. Yeah. yeah. I would say so. Grant stumbles, trying to avoid dead air as Sydney attempts to get more info on the phone. After a while, she says she feels like they're being fucked with. This is when Laurel Ann gets someone on the line, but asks them to slow down because she can't understand them. Grant shares that the perpetrators are also babbling nonsense, and they don't at this time know why. At 10.05 a.m., Grant reads from a paper saying despite not having an official version of the events, it's been reported that up to 75 people are dead and at least 150 are injured. 75. Whatever is happening is escalating very quickly. Oh, yeah. yeah. In this small town. Yeah. It's like 8% the population. (laughs) (laughs) But Sydney then tells him that she has the Canadian Broadcast Corporation and CFRB on the line, but he introduces Constable Roseland, who is already on the phone. Rosalind says this morning they answered a call to the Golden Dawn facility and found a large number of people inside trying to get into an elderly woman's room. That woman has since died from incidental injuries. Through Sydney's guidance, Grant finds out that the people were chanting things, mostly just repeating what the elderly woman was saying. Shit about Hitler and hurricanes. Sydney's like, that's enough of that. <laughs> cut, cut. Yeah, cut, cut that, cut that, cut that. <laughs> And this is when Grant just quickly ends the call. Yeah. I feel like that would be such a tightrope to walk. Oh, yeah. As a producer, especially because you're like, this is on the radio. We can't scare people. But mm-hmm. like, I want to know the fucking yeah. tea at the yeah. same time. I feel like I'd be like, say everything. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. If we'll you're, just, if you're, yeah, just turn the radio off. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I want to know. know what's going on. It's uh, tough because you're like, well, we can just cut out the bad shit later. Yeah. You know, on the rebroadcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just appreciate her ability to be like, that's too far. No, yeah. uh-huh. no more. Cause I'd be like, keep talking. No, it's impossible. Like Hitler, honestly, you say, yeah. yeah. And hurricanes. Fuck? That's not even yeah, what I'm talking about. Those aren't fun. comparable. No. <laughs> I, I think that, and again, from like my background in journalism, they're clearly breaking a story right now. Yeah. And how having that level of control to be like, okay, listeners don't want to listen to this over their McGriddle. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, that's really admirable. Like you're saying. Yeah, I no. Totally agree. Go you, because that wouldn't, it wouldn't be me. Better Couldn't than be me. me. But Grant then discusses what is being reported as a herd of people near the edge of the forest northwest of them, but between here and there in Phelpston, a couple and their children were trapped in their car underneath a mountain of people 
imitating windshield wipers. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) That's not scary. Do you know that would be fucking terrifying? I'm saying if it's one person doing it, it's fine. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) They said a mountain of people. (laughs) (laughs) That's the scariest thing. And they're not even doing anything. They're just standing there. (laughs) This is a flash mob. Is that fucking James Corden? (laughs) Jesus Christ. But Grant acknowledges a growing number of eyewitness accounts, but it is admitted that nothing is official. Laurel Ann then gets a phone call from BBC World. Big fucking deal. Yeah. BBC? Yeah. Jesus Christ. They're better than anything we've got. (laughs) (laughs) And Sydney immediately patches them through and puts Grant live on the air with Nigel Healing, played by Daniel Fathers. Even Grant yeah. is like yeah. stunned for yeah. a minute. Yeah, that, that was my no. I was like, say something, dude. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, uh. he's like <laughs> dead air. <Yeah. laughs> but Nigel credits Grant in Pontypool, Ontario for breaking the story and asks if it's true that the French-Canadian soldiers have set up roadblocks keeping people from entering or leaving the area. He also asks if this has anything to do with Canada's history of separatist terrorist groups. Now, I was unaware of this history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I only know American domestic terrorism. Right. But <laughs> this is at the point where I'm like, this is starting to feel like social commentary. Right. Okay, so is this the whole Lawrence of Arabia thing and Laurel Ann being an ex oh. veteran? And yeah. yeah, so I'm starting to piece stuff together. I'll speak more on this later. Okay, there's a character that comes in and says a lot, and it kind of helps my theory. Okay, so right. we were not, we did not have the same theory. Oh, okay, yeah, that'll be interesting. All then. right, all right. <laughs> But while Grant can't confirm the military's involvement, he says he believes the police are working to quell whatever's going on. But he says he doesn't think it has anything to do with terrorism. Nigel's like, hmm, yes, interesting. But then he proceeds to basically ask Grant what the hell is going on there. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's the next question, naturally. Grant's got nothing, which is kind of a shame. Yeah. But Nigel closes the interview, basically repeating what Grant wouldn't confirm, calling it an insurgency and saying that the French police have been called in to crush the insurgency. Sydney's like, fuck you. She's She's like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. No. (laughs) (laughs) But finally, Ken calls in, Grant reintroducing him. He's literally speaking through what I can only call fear sobs. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When they were like, Ken's back, I put... I don't think Ken is calling with good news. <laughs> Ken is not calling with good yeah. news. <laughs> <laughs> he is not. He says he's in a grain silo near the train tracks. He's not safe and he needs help. Not good news. Not good news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says they came after him and he's seen things that are going to ruin the rest of his natural life. That Man, chilled me a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And this, at this point, really starts feeling like a radio drama. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because you can't see him. No. Yeah. And it is a little, I will admit, some of it's a little funny because when he starts seeing shit, he's like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, there. And he's describing everything. But Well, the yeah. <laughs> He's the eye in the sky. He like, is. Yeah. He's used to it. But Grant says, Ken, it sounds like you're okay where you are. No, it fucking it doesn't. Re- no. It really doesn't. But Ken says that there were cannibals. Some of them were naked and they had eyes like wild dogs. Ken then notices a little pet door and can see a bunch of them through it. 
Then he gets very frantic, saying that they're pulling a couple out of their car and they're biting them, swarming on them like a school of piranhas trying to eat their way inside. He says one has put his entire arm and leg inside one of the corpses. Sydney tells Grant to stop this. Yeah. <laughs> Sydney's like, Lisa, you're scaring yeah. your mother. <laughs> like people trying to eat their McGriddle. Yeah. <laughs> the whole time I'm like, Ken, shut the hell up. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Aren't you worried? Because he's like, oh, my yeah. God. No, this is, this is where I busted out laughing because Ken is just making disgusted noises like loud as fuck. Yeah. And then he goes, oh. <laughs> and then he goes, I think one of them looked over. Yeah. <laughs> shut the hell up. It's like you're yelling yeah. at full volume. Yeah. <laughs> describing doing a play-by-play of everything you see you're not in the sunshine copter yeah. no. <laughs> but we then hear crashing noises but then they stop ken catches his breath saying that it was a teenage boy that they all know by name who crashed into the silo but he had no hands sydney tries to rush off the air but grant continues ken says the boy is just lying there now and against grant's protest ken approaches him he says it sounds like he's whispering something why the fuck are you approaching yeah. him? I don't know. I'm sorry. Yeah. Ken has never seen a horror film. Yeah. <laughs> never. <laughs> but he inches closer, and then the call is interrupted by interference in a loud French broadcast through the speaker. It ends, and Sydney, thoroughly confused, says that they cut into their signal. But even worse, they've completely lost Ken. Again. Yeah. Laurel Ann tries to translate the broadcast and sends it into Grant, who reads it to the listeners. He qualifies it by saying it could all be a hoax and they don't know the source. But it says, For your safety, please avoid contact with close family members and restrain from the following. All terms of endearment, such as honey or sweetheart, talk with young children or rhetorical discourse. For greater safety, please avoid the English language. Please do not translate this message. Yeah, you just fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you done goof. Yeah. It's like any horror movie where they read like the Latin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this thing for me is where I was like, oh, fuck. Terms of endearment. Right. It's Valentine's Day. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's why it's spreading so fast. I thought of Honey the Cat. That yeah. too. Yeah. You literally got a cat named Honey yeah. and they're like, yeah. don't fucking say Honey. <laughs> <laughs> I also thought that this kind of reminded me of, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but after 9-11, there was kind of a rumor that some radio conglomerate sent a list of banned terms and banned songs to radio stations that they weren't allowed to play. Yeah. And I remember some of the stuff you're like, ah, all right, I understand. But other stuff, it was like, she's not there by the zombies. You're like, <laughs> I don't understand how that could be related yeah. to anything. That's a good song. That's a great song. One thing that did make me laugh about that list is it said, Rage Against the Machine. All songs. Well, yeah. <laughs> that, that tracks. <laughs> but again, this is when I'm starting to feel like that it's kind of, I'm like, okay, I'm getting social commentary, maybe mm. about like propaganda. Right. Censorship. Okay. But I'll continue later. Okay. Yeah. Are you at least satisfied by Valentine's Day now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, because, I, so you're telling me that all this started from those little candy hearts? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those tasteless, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those pieces of chalk in the shape of hearts. Maybe tonight. <laughs> but during the reading of the translation, Sydney gets a call from Roseland telling them that they have to stay inside because Pontypool is under quarantine. So again, I was like, man, why has this got to be so... Yeah. Oh, I was like, this movie was way ahead of its time. Yeah. <laughs> but just then, Ken breaks back into the broadcast saying he's sending in some audio through his phone. 
he really tries to set the scene too. He's like, this is Mary Galt's teenage boy. I can see his wrists. They're stumps. Well, they're not actually stumps. I'm like, get to it. (laughs) (laughs) But he tells him to listen. And we hear what sounds like the distorted voice of an infant saying, mommy and help me. It honestly sounds like the fly. Yeah. From the original film. Oh, that's fair. I was like, is that a baby or a robot? A baby robot. A baby robot. (laughs) But Ken says it sounds like a child inside him speaking through his breath. Grant looks fully disturbed and asks if this is actually happening. But then he plays full professional and says, that was our own Ken Loney interviewing a screaming baby coming from Mary Galt's eldest son's last dying gasps. That's like (laughs) equal parts hilarious and terrifying. That's literally what it was. That's Yeah, I mean, what the fuck? I just love that he's like still throwing it to him. (laughs) But this is when Grant starts hearing voices, almost antagonizing him. They're saying, you're on the radio, ain't ya? Mazzy in the morning. I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> I just like Grant's losing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he he's completely confused and then he looks under his desk and I'm like, I'm more confused than you, Grant. Yeah. yeah. Like I could look, I'll take a fucking, you know, baby screaming from inside of a teenager. <laughs> I'll take some you auditory will? hallucinations. Yeah. I will not take both. Yeah. <laughs> Pick one. Yeah, because yeah. my brain needs to catch up. And honestly, I feel like this is never really explored again. Grant hearing shit. Oh yeah. No, it's not. So I was a little, a little confused. And, you know, I, I was doing a bit, but no, I do I would not take that. <laughs> <laughs> but Sydney tells Grant that the BBC is running the Mendez story and says, he just said honey, honey the missing cat poster. Grant, full of fear, is like, what? And I guess, I, I don't know what her deal is. Does she not realize that she just said honey when she yeah. was told not to? Probably not. I mean, literally, that was part of the scariest thing that's ever happened <laughs> yeah. in your life. <laughs> She's like, so anyway. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, honey, the missing cat. Hmm. <laughs> I It, it kind of reminded me of one of those things where like, if somebody's like, you know, don't think about pink elephants. That's right. what I was about yeah. to say. And you're like, fuck, it's, it's on a ball yeah. right now. <laughs> Or if somebody's like, you can't cuss, and it's like, you fucking yeah. got it. It's like, it's when you know that you can't. You just yeah. immediately. Yeah. <laughs> do you often say, you fucking. <laughs> <laughs> no fucking problem, man. <laughs> but when Grant doesn't reply to her, she tells Laurel Ann to throw on a pre recording about the school closures and goes into the booth to check on him. He asks if she's finding this funny, but she says that this is not a joke. From her end, everything looks real. An argument explodes and Grant apologizes to her, saying he's having a hard time believing it, thinking that someone's taking the piss, but Sydney reminds him of all the deaths that have already occurred. Grant says that he needs to get out of here, but Sydney asks him to sit back down. He is not down with that, and as soon as some dead air hits, Sydney tells Laurel Ann to go to some pre-tape, any pre-tape. Laurel Ann foolishly puts in the tape about Honey the Cat. God damn it. <laughs> You're translating shit yeah. that shouldn't be translated. Yeah. She's like, I'll play the ad for the new Honey Biscuit yeah. from-, <laughs> from Loves. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Laurel yeah. Ann, you're fired. From uh, Sweetheart Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> but-, <laughs> but Grant walks out, Sydney following close behind, trying to get him back on the air. He stands at the top of the stairs and says that he needs to step outside to know that it's not just something that's happening to him. 
he feels like he's going crazy, then shouts, accusing Sydney of fucking with him, and then he shouts to Laurel Ann, warning her not to fuck with him. (laughs) (laughs) It's preemptive. He's freaking out, though. Yeah, Give him a second, you know? I will say that I appreciate him stepping outside. Yeah. Because I think I'd be feeling the same thing. I'm like, I haven't seen shit. Yeah. All I'm hearing is weird shit. And you're the new guy. Exactly. Is this a prank? I feel like I would agree until the BBC called. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't think they're going to take the time to be like, let's fuck with Check this grant guy, like, man. Like, Ken can do a great accent. Yeah. <laughs> In all fairness, I think they do show a shot of Yeah, I was going to say, him. he's, yeah, yeah, he's on, on the, the TV. TV. Yes, no, it's legit. So yeah. It's, this is pretty fucking thorough. Yeah, <laughs> if it's a prank. You're not that important. Grant, no. Okay. Look, you've fallen pretty far. Yeah. <laughs> but this is when Grant forces past them and heads outside the studio. I'd be like, I don't think this is a good fit. (laughs) I really tried to make it work. This isn't, this isn't going to work. Can I say though, I don't know how long he's been working at this station. Right. He arrived with pre-tape of his own voice. So it's not even his first day. He did. And there's already signs for him up around the radio station. It's like (laughs) Mazzy in the morning. It seems it's confusing because it seems like he's new, but he's been here for at least a little while. Right. But he was fighting with the dude on the phone this morning. Uh-huh. I don't know. Uh, He's always been the shock jock. <laughs> <laughs> it's always been Mazzy in the morning. <laughs> but the women follow him out and up another set of stairs, pleading with him not to go. Against their protest, he heads right into the blizzard. Snow whipping at him, he says it's nothing but a cold, cold day. But when Laurel Ann sees something, she pulls him back inside and shuts the door. We suddenly hear several people outside the door repeating Sydney's last pleas to keep Grant inside and on the air. Laurel Ann regresses back to her military days and says, we have an enemy, sir. Damn. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot, honestly, to yeah. unpack. Uh-huh. That, that's heavy. <laughs> would you like to unpack it now? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I would not. Okay. <laughs> I'm just like, maybe it's like triggering, like maybe PTSD or mm-hmm, stuff right. that she, like that. If your mind is going into that mode, yeah, something is incredibly wrong. And you know that they obviously are moving at quick speeds. Yeah. Because right. she sees them in the distance and the second she closes the door, they're like, hey, get on the air, Mazzy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, he let him. I know he needed to get out, but he didn't really need to like go out there like Not that. completely. No, yeah. he didn't. Leave just, the booth. Just like open, crack the door, look around. Yeah. Like, all right, all right. Everything's fine. Yeah. Everything's pizza. <laughs> <laughs> but Sydney recognizes her own words coming out of the mouths of these strangers and asks, what the hell is going on? Grant calms her down, telling her that he's scared too. He notices her finger has been cut and sends Laurel Ann to get the first aid kit. I think he did that when he, because he like pushes her to the side to get outside. Yeah. I was like, ah, oh, damn, I fucked you yeah. up. <laughs> Listen, I was real keyed up back yeah. there. <laughs> I've had like eight drinks. So. Yeah, <laughs> I sincerely mean it when I say my bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he asks Sydney where her kids are and finds out that they're over a hundred kilometers away and tells her that they're safe. It's about 60 miles, America. <laughs> he says he'll go back on the radio and asks what's up next focusing her on the work. She tells him it's the obits, and since they don't have a pre-tape, he'll do it live. (laughs) In a very neat sequence. I like this a lot. I thought it was the visuals were very fucking cool. I liked it a lot too. We see shots of each of the recently departed in black and white video clips, almost like family portraits from the Dust Bowl era, or I guess like those old news clips they used to play at the movies. 
Yeah. In the 1920s? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but Grant tells of a woman who was killed by her husband before he was killed by their grandchildren before they killed each other. He then tells of a woman who was killed by her husband, who himself survived long enough to kill a couple and their two young children before losing his life in an accident. A man was killed by his wife, who then killed her mother, before killing several others, who between them killed even more, mostly from the Drummond family. The surviving Drummonds were then taken out by a bus driven by a woman who, of course, is now dead, survived by her husband, who is now dead too. Jesus That's fucking a lot Christ. Of people. Yes. <laughs> I took notice of this that they said the Drummonds because it's Laurel Ann Drummond. Oh. oh shit you're right and she is listening to the broadcast but there's never a reaction about yeah. this i thought that was very weird huh yeah isn't that yeah. weird yeah it is and i i think my thing i love this sequence a lot but i do want to know who's keeping track of who killed him i had the same i was like who's feeding them this who's got the tally it's like a video game you go to the menu and you're like oh wow yeah. their kd <laughs> ratio busy, is right? fucking crazy <laughs> But as Grant continues the ever-expanding In Memoriam segment, Laurel Ann bandages Sydney's hand. Sydney realizes that she left her phone in the sound booth and wants to call her kids. She says her ex always has his phone off, seemingly on purpose. Laurel Ann calls him a dick, which, yeah. 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 Sydney asks if anything like this has ever happened to her, especially when she was in Afghanistan, and she says, No, sir. I believe this situation I brought back in my head. Sydney's like, What? what? Yeah. Laurel Ann says that she doesn't know, but she's going to go check and see if Mr. Mazzy is missing. She then keeps repeating missing, missing. She says he's missing because he's not here. Then Sydney tells her, honey, he's in the sound booth. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> Sydney, we all phone it in at work. So yeah. okay. <laughs> this bitch is not paying any attention yeah, not at all. to anything that's being said. <laughs> she's like, hey, you want some of this honey biscuit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from sweetheart's chicken <laughs> but a tea kettle whistles in the background <laughs> as laurel ann seems very confused but pretends she's all right and excuses herself i was like oh shit yeah as soon as she started her mouth falling down the stairs mm -hmm. i'm like fuck so uh, right now i'm like so her brain waves getting yeah you know i mean i was like what what's happening here just too many questions, a lot of shit that is yet to be explained. Right. And when you see things start to take hold, it's eerie because you don't really know what it means yet. Right. Yeah. But Sydney takes the kettle from the stove, but then she still hears a high-pitched noise continuing. She rounds the corner to find Laurel Ann with her head tilted, mimicking the sound of the tea kettle. This was actually horrifying to yeah. me. Yes, it is. Just the way that her head's just cocked. Yeah. But before she can even react, she sees a man crawling through a window that for some reason is wide open. Snow pours in as he reaches the floor, and we learn that he is Dr. John Mendez, played by Grant Alanak. Get out yeah. right now. <laughs> I'm like, y'all have a fucking window open. Yeah. A. And B, you're literally the last person I want to see fucking yeah, crawling no in here. Shit. Yeah, weren't they just trying to whip your yeah. ass too? <laughs> your fucking practice just exploded. Uh -huh. oh, yeah. The first that we're hearing that anything is wrong, it started with you. With you. Yeah. yeah. Get the fuck out. Like, I'm sorry. She kind of accepts him coming in not as harshly as no. I am. Yeah, no. <laughs> They're, I don't know. They're Canadian. <laughs> They're very nice people. <laughs> very polite. I understand they already have a lot going on, but yeah. come on, man. But Mendez apologizes to Sydney and says that he's been through hell, crawling through town on his hands and knees, and this is when he notices Laurel Ann. 
Mm-hmm. He tells Sydney not to say anything, but of course she doesn't listen. Yeah. Where, <laughs> man? She says Laurel Ann just started doing this. Mendez is like, "I'm a doctor. We need to go." Yeah. I I understand that you're a doctor, but I don't know pull and rank right now. Yeah. <laughs> like weird shit's happening. It doesn't mean. Yeah. I'm sorry. If I was a doctor, that would be everything. Really? Yeah. How would you like your steak done? I'm a doctor, <laughs> and uh, yeah. no, I'd be like. First of all, I don't think a server is asking how you'd like it done. <laughs> Probably cooked. That's why I was never a server. I'm a doctor, and I think we should have Whataburger tonight. <laughs> Let's just pull rank on everything. You just have your degree, like point uh, to uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, but. Don't make me tap the degree. I'm a fucking doctor. <laughs> But Sydney goes over to Laurel Ann and is like, honey, are you okay? Yeah. Honey, sweetie, baby yeah. child, are you fine? <laughs> Mendez stops her, saying that she'll follow the sound of their voices. Then once he learns that Grant is inside of a sound booth, he calls it a lifeboat and they rush off together. Laurel Ann snaps back to reality and says, Mr. Mendez is missing Mazzy. Then corrects herself that she's missing Mazzy. Then says she has to. And then she slaps her hand over her mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Like shit's going yeah. sideways, and it goes so quick. Mm-hmm. Like once it starts, it's like get no, the fuck yeah. out of there. They said that on commentary, this was a major part of her audition. Right, that they wanted her to say a line, realize that it was a fuck up in her own brain, and react to it. And that's Whoa. what this is. Man, Ugh. I I was like, she doesn't know what's going. On. No, no, she uh, plays it so well. Yeah. But Grant rushes Sydney into the sound booth, saying that they just need to get ahead of Laurel Ann because she doesn't have a purpose yet. I thought that her saying that she has to was like the beginning of her yeah. finding a purpose. Yeah. And kind of scaring herself with it, which is really scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Sydney startles Grant and introduces him to Dr. Mendez, saying that she's sure he has a story to tell and asks him to have a seat. Mendez is like, on the radio? Yeah. <laughs> He's super excited for some reason. Well... I feel like it's <laughs> that's your priority. I don't. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, you've you've found a place to hide, uh-huh. and you're able to say what's going on or what you've experienced. Why? Why not? That is. Fair. I get it. I just feel like I want my doctor who knows the truth and is trying to convince everyone else to be a little more lumacy. Mm-hmm. And this guy's <laughs> kind of chill for what's well, fucking going yeah, on. Well, I. W- you mean my voice on the radio? Well, it's like what. <laughs> I'll say that he's chill in the fact that he's not as freaked out as he should be, but right. he has more energy than any human. He does. Yeah. He, well, I mean, it's, <laughs> he, it's, he does have an energy it's about happening him. in real time. That I is mean, true. it's like, oh, shit. The adrenaline. If you, if you look at it from like a scientific standpoint, mm-hmm. you're, I mean, how happy would you be? You know, so I, like if you detach yourself from the humanity of it, you mean, and well, as a I doctor mean, being like, this is yeah, you're some watching shit. some shit go on right in front of you. It's never happened before. He's like, I'm going to write a paper about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> like, doctor, please. Yeah. Finally going to get published. People are dying. <laughs> well, <laughs> priorities. But Laurel Ann stands at the door looking through the window, trying to convince them that she's okay. Mendez says that she's sick and she doesn't even realize it yet, but she's hunting them right now. Hunting? Yeah. Yeah. Laurel Ann turns the knob trying to get inside, and Sydney says they should just talk to her. But Mendez stops her, saying that she might lose track of where they are if she can't hear them. Isn't that like a T-Rex or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's a dinosaur now. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, all right. It slowly turns yeah. them. You ever play that game Dino Crisis? Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, Laurel Ann just gives up and walks away. At this point, I was like, Sydney is going to get them killed. Yeah. I thought the same thing. She just won't listen. No. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's like, we can't just leave her out there. 
Yes, you can. Yeah. You absolutely can. Yes. She's busy missing Mazzy or yeah. whatever. Just yes. <laughs> let her do it. But Grant goes back on the air, telling their listeners that they've been holding their own and taking no prisoners, but today they are those prisoners. They're tired and scared, but they have Dr. John Mendez with them. I love that he still has the wherewithal to be like, no, I'm Mazzy in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just like, everyone listen. Yeah. You know, we yeah. have somebody who thinks they might know. He's like, yeah, we would take no yeah. prisoners. Like, he's still got his fucking shtick. Yeah, even introducing the radio station. Yeah. Well. It's like the beacon. I'm like, dude, stop. You're on air. <laughs> We're beyond this. Wow. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, whenever you're in like a crisis, you kind of revert. Yeah. She went military. He went Howard Stern. I yeah. <laughs> so I guess it makes sense. But Grant reminds his listeners of what happened with the mob in Mendez's office earlier and asks him for any insight that he could provide. At this moment, we hear a loud banging sound. We cut from tight close-ups of Grant and Dr. Mendez to find Laurel Ann repeatedly running into the dividing glass of the sound booth, smashing her face against it. Sydney begs her to stop, but Mendez says that she's rooting for voices. He chuckles, saying that she'll grow vicious and pops a pill or a Tic Tac or something. It looked yeah. like he was snacking. Like, yeah. yeah. He's like, I've brought some popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? But he literally laughed. He's like, this is when she gets vicious. I'm like, yeah. dude, what the fuck is going so, on? I want us I wanted to say zombie, but but she was talking. Right. So it was it kind of like I was like, I don't I'm The director called them conversationalists. Not yes. zombies. Didn't want to use the term zombie. In well, this. zombies technically die oh, and come back. Right. They didn't die. Which is why I was confused to their behavior. Yeah. They're acting like zombies. They're like 66% zombies. <laughs> 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 if I had to do. <laughs> Work 60% of the time. Every, every time. time. Every yeah. single time. But Grant tells his listeners what's going on. Their very own homecoming hero, Laurel Ann Drummond, is experiencing some kind of dangerous seizures seizure yeah. yeah i know i'm also Grant. disappointed yeah. haven't you heard and seen enough dude i mean maybe not seen you've heard enough, you've heard enough. <laughs> <laughs> but mendez says that he's seen this before but then he says a victim suicides but a victim needs a victim to suicide into yes i'm confused too mm-hmm. yeah he apologizes for being the bearer of bad news but he's seen this disturbing behavior outside of his office all morning Sydney's phone rings and it's Ken, so she puts him on the air with Grant. Grant intros him, again, staying very professional. Yeah. <laughs> He's, I mean, it's in his yeah. butt. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. He's like, it. this is our very own Ken Loney reporting from inside yeah. a grain silo. <laughs> <laughs> but Ken says that the teenage boy who crashed into the silo earlier has died, and he can hear groups of them walking around from time to time. When asked by Mendez if he can hear them talking, Ken says an hour ago, a group of them were chanting, look for the U-boats over and over again. So more in line with my thing that I was saying earlier, Germans used U-boats in World War One and Two. Mm-hmm. So again, we're kind of, we got the elderly woman talking about Hitler, yeah. Laurel Ann being a veteran of the Afghanistan war. We got the BBC guy talking about insurgency and separate right. terrorists. Like right. this weird undercurrent. Something's going yeah. on. Yeah. But Ken says it's a symbol of the disorder. Mendez asks if he means symptom, and things go downhill from here. Ken realizes he has a problem and says he can't stop thinking. Do you have a sample? A simple kind of sample. He keeps repeating the word in weird sentences, and Mendez tells Grant to keep to simple questions. Ken just keeps repeating simple, simple. 
Mendez is like, that's it. He's gone. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, he cut the line. <laughs> he literally goes, this is just what he is yeah. now. Yeah, that made me laugh what out loud. What the fuck? <laughs> just a little compassion. <laughs> a crumb of compassion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck. He's like, that's just his life now. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. I did think it was cool because he says, Ken is just a crude radio signal seeking. God yeah. damn. That's frightening. But as Ken continues repeating simple, Grant says a final goodbye to their man in the sunshine chopper hanging up the phone. Why was that so sad? Yeah. It's like, not I like, barely know Ken. Yeah. <laughs> it's very sad to me. And he barely knows Ken. Yeah. <laughs> but Sydney sits distraught, taking off her headphones. Grant apologizes, saying he knows Ken was a good friend of hers. She says he wasn't a friend. Then she says Ken Loney was a pedophile. But then she says, but not a pedophile. <laughs> What? Yeah. She says they just wouldn't let their kids go anywhere near him. I I was very confused. Yeah, it was very confusing. Yeah, okay. That's not something you just throw around. Yeah, no, he's a pet. Well, you know, not like a full pedophile. Yeah. Yeah. Like what? He's like sixty six percent pedophile. <laughs> it was very I, confusing. I think the thing for me is Grant's like, so you're telling me the sunshine choppers, <laughs> yeah. and then you're gonna lay this shit on yeah. me? Like, isn't it enough? She says that she's known him for 17 years, so... And then she stops herself realizing what a terrible obituary that was. Yeah. And again, I'm kind of like, you know, I don't know that your intentional comedy is working for me. Was that supposed to be funny? I don't yeah, know. I, I, was, I was still confused. I yeah. felt like she was trying to process because she was upset. And she's like, he wasn't even my friend. I've, know, I've just known him for so long. Uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I, it, it was almost like Grant's like, you know, I, I understand you're sad. She's like, well, don't be too sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, yeah. It's, it's good that he died. <laughs> I just don't understand. I don't know. But this is another one of those almost like the Lawrence of Arabia thing where yeah, I'm just like. I don't. Right yeah, over my head. Right over my head. I feel like maybe we're supposed to be off kilter. Maybe. Right. And maybe she said pedophile on accident because people are having issues with words what they're right. saying i don't know okay. <laughs> I, I do not know but yeah i was very very confused by that yeah but they look out the window at laurel ann who stands there silently mouthing words as blood pours from her mouth it looked like she was chewing on her own lip yeah, yeah. and they didn't mention that but it did look like yeah. that. yeah mendez asked if she for sure can't hear them but grant says she can't but then asks if she can read lips without a real answer they just watch as she walks away Mendez is stuck on the idea that she could read lips, though. Then he realizes something that he deems impossible. This whole thing is viral, but not of the blood, the air, not on or in our bodies. It's in words. Not all words, but some. Some words are infected, and the virus spreads when a contaminated word is spoken. He says if the virus found its way through language, it could leap into reality itself and change everything. This is honestly a terrifying premise. Oh, oh yeah. yeah infected words like yeah. fuck yeah. <laughs> i hope that wasn't one of them yeah. <laughs> he then says it may be a god bug which is where grant stops him because that is a lot well yeah but mendez doesn't stop he says there is a monster loose bouncing through our language trying to keep its host alive grant asks if the radio broadcast is a vessel but mendez says it isn't about hearing the word it's about comprehension of that word when the word is understood is when the virus takes hold. 
This is very scary. Yeah. The only I don't, I don't mean to poke holes, but mm-hmm. if this just started happening today, how how does he have all this? I don't know. And honestly, the, as I continue, I think this is one of the scenes that kind of annoys me in this film. Yeah. I, f- I feel like when the doctor was introduced, it slowed down a little bit for me. Yeah. Like the tension was a little yeah. bit broken. I don't know if it's because we kind of get an explanation, but I was waiting for an explanation. So I don't think that's it. Uh I feel like he maybe just has too much information because (laughs) he's like, it's not hearing it. It's How the fuck do you know that? But he sounds like he's like learning. It's like free form jazz. (laughs) (laughs) Like he just is just coming up with it. Actually. (laughs) Yeah. It also was not lost on me because they really like glossed over it when she first said that it was happening at Mendez's office. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we're listening to Sydney, but in the background you hear Grant say that he was like he got in trouble for writing fake prescriptions mm-hmm. or unnecessary prescriptions. So I'm like, is this commentary on being over medicated or I mean, I don't know. I feel like that line was not there for no reason. No, I feel there's a lot of things that happen that I feel like seem weird, but are intentional. Right. Yeah. And that one was one. You're right. That was glossed over. Yeah. Uh, and they're just like, so anyway, I'm like, no, no, this wasn't just any random doctor. This was that doctor. And yeah. I feel like there, ha- there has to be a reason for that. Yeah. Like, why is he still a doctor? Right. Right. Fucking writing these fake scripts. And yeah. Shit. Uh, I, I don't know. Usually they frown upon that. <laughs> Usually. <laughs> But Grant wonders if they should be talking about this. Sydney's like, what are we even talking about, period? Grant asks if they should be talking at all, and Mendez says that they should stop. But Grant takes his job very seriously and says they still need to get this news out there. Mendez tells him that's up to him and hopes it doesn't uh, destroy the world. Yeah. <laughs> so so you just have to say a certain thing or like you, like he was saying, you have to understand it. So it's not yeah. necessarily saying the word but i i don't i still don't i think the difficulty <laughs> is you don't know which words are infected right yeah so you're like so you can't safely say anything speaking at all yeah. yeah so for me i thought again like propaganda you know like almost like the media has the power to comfort mm-hmm. and inform right but also has the power to inflame absolutely and words that you use matter yeah and can infect minds and push people to like inflict violence on one another so that's where i was kind of going i feel like it's almost like a commentary on media that's fair the fact that it's a radio station kind of helps that for me yeah Yeah. yeah. but i you know all right i uh, i i see that uh, all right (laughs) good i and yours you had one you said yeah i guess we're far enough along that i can talk about it but i kind of saw it as commentary on how frivolous how we speak has become okay and so like they specifically cautioned against terms of endearment specifically with children rhetorical discourse Mm -hmm. i feel like it's just like empty small talk or empty you know terms of endearment that it's like detrimental i don't know i have not it's not fully formed but that's what i got from it i think it can be both honestly i mean when you think about it the rhetorical discourse is basically what the media has become. Mm-hmm. True. So, I mean, eh. that's yeah. what I got. Cause I'm like, what you, you have to be saying something. You're saying something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I might be too dumb to figure it out, but I'm smart enough to know that you're trying to tell me. Yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> My, the, the only thing that I really noticed was then they were like, don't speak English. It's not safe. Uh-huh. So yeah. I was like, so what is, what do you, 
As that, yeah, because yeah. it's, it's not affecting everyone. Yeah. It's specifically an English issue. Yeah. And that's got to be something, too. Yeah. Is, is that about imperialism? Is that fucking like I, I'm trying manifest to manifest destiny? Yeah. yeah, I'm right. Uh, I don't know yeah. what's going on. But <laughs> yeah. I think it could be all these things. I will say specifically this Mendez stuff. I understand the need for this scene mm-hmm. because things were so confusing that you don't know what the fuck's going right. on. But again, the fact that he was just so matter of fact expository. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was. Something about it kind of because it's like we're on a roller coaster and it's like tick, 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 tick. And just as we go over the thing, it's like, no, hold on. One, yeah. one, 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 one second. <laughs> Let me like, explain that's, everything. That's yeah. what it felt like. And I'm like, why? I don't know if it feels. And you're right. It is completely necessary. Uh-huh. And I guess it's necessary for it to be Mendez as well. Yeah. But th- there was just something about it that fucked with the flow for me. I can't 100% put my finger on it, but something about it, I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. They, like, they, it feels like it, you're. it's turning into something different or yeah. it feels like a different movie there is a change from this point forward yeah. yeah and i read in an interview with the director he said that this is the use of an old plot device and it made me kind of think of psycho where you had the doctor explaining everything at the end right mm, okay and i mean i think if you can think of like i guess b horror sci-fi maybe yeah where they're like the alien comes from this planet on yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> fucking omicron percy i ate and you know so I guess I understand, but I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to put it in your film. Right. But I also am a hypocrite because I did want some kind of explanation. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know. maybe we didn't need so much. Maybe. Explain something to explain it. That's God too much it. explaining. <laughs> <laughs> but outside the studio, we hear various people shouting nonsense and eventually several of them smash through the windows. I was like, oh, yeah, there's a murderous mob outside. (laughs) (laughs) You forget. That's right. And they're fucking their faces are covered in blood. Yeah. Like, so they've also seen some shit. But downstairs, Grant just sits there, head in his hands, breathing into the microphone. Mendez, who said not to speak, is basically like dead air. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what are you doing, dude? (laughs) What do you want from me? (laughs) He says everyone can hear you breathing. But then after he says breathing a few times, he stops himself, asking if they should make their vow of silence official. Before they can answer, Sydney receives a phone call from her children. She immediately greets them with, hi, honey. Sydney! (laughs) I don't know what part she doesn't understand. (laughs) None of it. (laughs) But Laurel Ann continues to bash her face into the glass, blood spattering upon every contact. Grant watches in disgust as Laurel Ann stares at him through the bloody glass, muttering and walking away. Sydney stays with the honeys and the sweethearts, and Mendez scolds her for it. But then he says that she should be breathing more. Breathe. 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 Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Laurel Ann begins fucking with the equipment outside until some sparks fly. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what yeah, she's doing. I'll smoke them out. <laughs> But after she does that, she returns to the window. Her mouth is torn open. Yeah. Looks, it looks great. It looks yeah. fantastic. It's, it's like, like a like, bloody grin. Oof, oh, yeah. yeah. But Sydney tells her daughter that it's Valentine's Day and not her birthday, then starts singing Happy Valentine's Day to you in the style of the Happy Birthday song. Sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know, but Grant looks at her like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, her daughter won't respond and she hangs up the phone. But Laurel Ann continues banging on the window, and eventually she backs away, gasping and snarling words. In this moment, 
Grant realizes he forgot to give her her Valentine's Day card, which reminds Sydney to thank him for the one that he gave her. Seems like an odd time for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, by the way, good looking out. Yeah. <laughs> it's very sweet. But at this point, Laurel Ann begins to gag a bit before vomiting a fountain of blood at the window and collapsing. Disgusting. Yeah, she just ate too much. That's all. Yeah. yeah. She had some candy. It's Valentine's yeah. Day. She ate too much blood. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we all, we all like what we like. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> but this is when Mendez is like, oh, so this is what happens when they can't find a victim. This is what they're trying to escape. I don't like that at all. No. (laughs) He says while it is impressive to him, he admits it's disgusting and awful and is like, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I got too excited. Yeah, Yeah. I went impressive. I think this doctor is pretty detached. Uh, That was a human. Yeah. Yeah. Just dead on the floor now. Yeah. Yeah. But this is when Pontypool residents storm the studio, the three survivors shutting off the light and slinking down in the booth. The residents wander around, mouthing words and banging on the glass. The camera pans across in like standard zombie film fashion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it looks pretty frightening. Oh, yeah. yeah. But Grant grabs a notepad writing, what do we do now? Sydney responds in writing, asking if they throw their voices, will they follow? Grant suggests the loudspeaker outside and Mendez says the message will travel, suggesting they say an SOS or we are here. So this is where I was a little confused because they're they're in a soundproof booth. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I was assuming they're writing for their own benefit to not speak rather than to not be detected by the conversationalists. Very right. good. But it's not passed through hearing. It's passed through comprehension. Uh-huh. So wouldn't even reading an infected word cause the same thing? They shouldn't be writing in English. No. Yeah. Like, they that's shouldn't, step one. They should. I mean, like, have y'all never played charades or like, <laughs> no, I don't like, <laughs> well, I was confused. Where did they all get notepads from? And they where all did they markers. all get markers? <laughs> it's like, we keep these yeah, just in case. I, was like, what, what the <laughs> I will say, I mean, I, you're right because it's like, well, none of us have ever read a book, so we yeah. don't know what comprehension is. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I, that's a very fair point. I never even thought about that. But this is kind of, I don't know why I didn't like this at all, but for some reason, Sydney suggests that Grant says, Sydney Breyer is alive which he agrees to do. Yeah, I didn't understand. Yeah. Maybe for her ki- I don't I don't know. I don't understand. They're like no, a they're, 100 yeah, miles away or whatever. Gone. Well, he said it would travel. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I thought that was strange too because it's not even like she was the star of the show. No. Yeah. Like if anything it would be Grant Mazzy is alive. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I I, I, I didn't understand. Mazzy yeah. in the morning. Yeah. Mazzy in the morning. We'll still be on in the morning. <laughs> yeah. like, yes. I don't I don't I didn't get that either. I thought that the doctor had a better idea. Right. We are here. I yeah. think that's, I mean, but Sydney's like, but me About though. Yeah. <laughs> right. They'll come for me. Yeah. yeah. I'm their favorite. Everybody yeah. loves me. <laughs> but Grant reaches for his microphone as the zombies, as you said, credited as conversationalists, continue banging on the glass. In a low voice, he repeats, Sydney Breyer is alive. Sydney loops it on the console, and we watch as the conversationalists take notice and exit up the stairs. Mendez is overjoyed and says they can breathe again. Breathe. Breathe. You need to fucking yeah. calm down. Stop talking. <laughs> Sydney takes notice, and Mendez bangs his head and begins speaking in what I read on a forum and Wikipedia is Armenian. Okay. The virus, of course, as we said, was traveling through English, so this is honestly a very genius move. Yeah. It is. I gotta say... 
never a better poster child to become bilingual. Yes. I was already trying to learn Spanish, but this movie is going to make Duolingo very happy with me. (laughs) 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 Because I'm like, man... I, obviously, this is not going to happen, but like, uh, what if this happened? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, if, if I've learned anything about horror movies, it inspires preparedness. Yeah. It does. That it does. This one's a big one, though. Yeah. No, they're not going to catch me slipping. <laughs> but Grant's voice echoes over the loudspeaker as Sydney writes in all caps, OUT. Grant agrees. As Mendez speaks frantically in a different language, Sydney sidles up to Grant, speaking to him in French. And even though he only knows a little, they realize they should speak it exclusively. He's like, voulez-vous? <laughs> <laughs> Just keeps repeating it. Yeah. <laughs> Was that the first episode? Like, did it inspire Pontypool? Because he couldn't stop repeating it. He couldn't. He couldn't stop repeating it. Yes. Okay. I needed confirmation. The answer is yes. But they head out of the sound booth, leaving an annoyed Dr. Mendez alone in there. They survey Laura Ann's corpse, Grant snagging a bottle of liquor from behind a desk before they head upstairs. Naturally. Of course. Once at the top, Grant suggests in French that they head to the kitchen. In their sneaking, they don't notice a kid seated at the reception desk. The kid stands up and Sydney screams in English for Grant to run. The kid repeats her words as she tackles Sydney. I'm not here to victim blame, uh-huh. but I do not know how they didn't see her immediately when they walked in. Yeah. <laughs> she was plainly yeah. sitting She was. She's like, and you have a meeting with Mr. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the kid goes for that sweet neck meat, but Grant pulls her off and in a very strange bit of editing. I, I was very yeah. confused at this. I rewound this like 50 times. Oh, no, yeah. You're like, what did I miss? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because Grant fucking disappears. Yeah. And then we cut to them just stomping a mud hole in this kid. Yeah, yeah. no, they stomped her out like Rick James. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like she was so fucking weird. I, I felt like somebody from that little group was going to come back to haunt them. Yeah. Okay. I mean, come on. Well, I mean, at least it fucking gives a reason for whatever we saw earlier. Yeah. Because yeah. before I was like, this is pointless. I hate it. There's no yeah. reason. <laughs> <laughs> but if she's coming back to fuck shit up, I guess yeah. it's okay. She should have cleaned her face, though. I don't care. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. But uh, this was that kid, right? Yes. What the fuck is. Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but having stomped the kid to death, Sydney sobs as Grant's voice continues echoing overhead. They continue on toward the kitchen, but spy Mendez from overhead, still in the booth, still babbling. They agree he's dangerous, but when asked, Grant says he is not going to kill him. He tells her to do it since she killed the kid and they then argue over who killed the kid. And it's like, guys, you're both right. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) they are. I don't speak French. Uh huh. I didn't know how much of this was French and how much of this was them speaking English with a French accent. Because that's what it sounds like Grant is doing. In all fairness, yeah. (laughs) Are we just allowed to run around and be like, we don't, you know what I mean? Well, we have listeners in France. Sorry to the friend of the show, Pierre Lombard. (laughs) He's probably like unsubscribed. But Grant was not speaking French. No, he was not. (laughs) And France is a a great country. It's the the best. Yeah. Love love the people. Love the food. But Grant finally admits to killing the kid. But since he killed the kid, he says that it's her turn to kill the doctor. He wins no matter what. Well, well. But she refuses. And Grant says if he attacks, then he'll kill him. 
This is when the power goes out, and when it comes back on, the Canadian national anthem comes through the loudspeaker inside. I was like, not oh Canada. No. Uh, also, they subtitled her saying please, and I was like... They're gonna subtitle the one thing I understood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the you know, for me. Yeah. <laughs> but this attracts the attention of Mendez, who comes out of the booth, as well as all the conversationalists who do return inside. They smash the speakers with a hammer, but seeing all the people heading their way, decide to lock themselves in an equipment closet. Mendez squeezes in before they can close the door, and he grabs a weapon. There's a tense stare down, but we then learn that they're all on the same side, so everything's pizza. Mendez then scrambles out of the open window, which was still open, by yeah. the way. Yeah. <laughs> they don't learn. No. no. <laughs> I don't understand. He's like, about time for me to be hitting the yeah. old dusty trail. <laughs> I will say I respect him for this, because he starts chanting with the others, Sidney Briar is alive, and Sidney realizes that he's actually saving their lives, and they begin to breathe easy. Yeah. I was very surprised. Oh, yeah. yeah. That the doctor would <laughs> stick his neck out in any way. Well, I mean, he can't just show up to tell us everything that's going on and be like, well, see you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the worst kind of zombie. Hmm. A zombie that can argue with you while he's oh. trying to eat you. Oh, no. Yeah, dude. just eat me. Yeah, just. Well, maybe you'll get a one liner. You've always wanted to be killed with the funny one liner. But then I'd have to say it myself. Yeah, yeah. you would. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, but then I feel like you're just being mocked if they're just repeating what you said in a yeah, dumb voice. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, don't eat me. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, man. <laughs> Fuck that. Not as good as I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> you're no Freddy Krueger. Yeah, no. Put it that way. But the crowd follows him, Shaun of the Dead style. Yeah. yeah. And we get shots around the studio of the aftermath of the chaos. While Grant fiddles around with an old CD player, Sydney drinks liquor and writes on the door, My name is Sydney Breyer. Today I killed a girl. I am so sorry. I understand that she's being eaten up by guilt, mm -hmm. but she needs to remember that that girl was trying to eat her up. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's not like you just found a child and stomped her to death. Uh -huh. Yeah. First of all, she was wearing blackface, so yeah. how much are yeah. we really going to mourn? I mean, I, it's almost like Ken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, mean, fuck it. You know, this is just what she is now. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> but we then cut to a shot of Laurel Ann's body, who kind of looks like she's breathing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that was know. the actor. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me neither, because we don't really revisit no. it again. No. But when we cut back to the closet... Grant's interview with Nigel Healing is playing from a CD, and the entire door is covered in Sydney's writing. She's got a lot to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Treating it like her fucking yeah. journal. Like what? <laughs> but very drunk, she tells Grant in English to speak up. He's like, French, and she apologizes. He tells her to stop talking, but she continues in English, telling him to give it up. There's no secret code or solution at all hidden in Nigel's words. She says she's drunk, and they're not talking. This is exactly how her last relationship ended. <laughs> Yikes. Um, I understand that she's upset, but you really got to get it together. Yeah. Like, Grant's <laughs> at least trying to fucking figure something yeah. out. He is, but I mean, it's also Valentine's Day. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he focuses in on Nigel saying understanding, and he realizes it. How do you stop someone from understanding? He then stares with psycho peepers, and she asked if he's going to eat her soon. <laughs> <laughs> he, the way he looked, it was yeah. a valid question. <laughs> I was like, well, that's just who he is now. Yeah. <laughs> but she tells him it's okay. She doesn't want to be the killer. But Grant is focused. How do you stop understanding? How do you make a word strange? 
She tells him that he's talking a lot and they're going to let killers in if he keeps killing his own rules. She says that she'll kill a killer. He asks, how do you disinfect a word to not understand it? And she says, you kill the word that's killing you. He says he used to repeat words when he was a kid until they were incomprehensible. I remember we, we used to do this a lot and it was just like, I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> it's when you say it a lot or when you write it a lot. You're like, I don't even, I've, yeah. I'm pretty sure this is not a word. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a copy editor, I was like, I don't think I understand this language. I think <laughs> they wrote this and fucking, I don't know. But reduced to tears, Sydney says you have to kill the word, all the killing. Then she just keeps repeating the word, kill. Grant realizes that she's infected with a word and crouches down with her, holding her shoulders and trying to get her to no longer understand the word kill. He tells her kill is blue. Kill is everything she's ever wanted, among various other things. She just struggles against him until he says kill is kiss. And she begins to come back to herself. And see, again, you're literally taking a violent word and turning it into something romantic Mm -hmm. and pleasant kind of going in with my uh propaganda right you know not to toot my own horn (laughs) (laughs) but he keeps repeating it until she's completely normal then he asks her what is kill she answers kiss then she asks him to kill her and they share a kiss yeah (laughs) there you go mazzy yeah Yeah. well we all we knew there was some electricity (laughs) flying yeah Yeah, from that moment yeah But they also uh, kiss again. And I mean, they really kill each other this time. <laughs> <laughs> but we hear helicopters overhead and they say they feel better. Grant says he thinks he just cured her and they head back to the booth for one last show. Sydney is hesitant, but he says that they're going to save the fucking world. Sydney says that they should do what Mendez said. Go back upstairs, shut up or die. Grant says that he at least has to try. He goes in for a full rousing speech, but she's already convinced, so I guess it's it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> he heads into the booth, and she sits at the mixer, which we're going to be in the same room. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. We just killed each other, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the mic, he's trying to remember everything. The French message, what Laurel Ann and Ken were babbling, but Sydney says they just need to confuse people. So he goes live on the air, and after his intro, because he is a professional. Yeah. Yes. He says they usually take no prisoners, but today they're setting them free. Amid explosions outside, he tells his listeners that kill is kiss and sample is staple. After being told he's being too specific, he just says everything is something else. (laughs) (laughs) The way way he's talking, I was like, you could have taken a second to plan this out before he turned it on. (laughs) He's like, I got the intro queued up, but then (laughs) I got nothing. I got nothing. But French soldiers call over an intercom asking if Sidney Breyer is still alive. Debris and dust fall with every explosion and Grant tells everyone they have to stop understanding. Sidney cuts him off, saying that telling people not to understand defeats the purpose. Yeah. The soldiers call out again, telling Sidney not to listen to Grant because he's infected. I'm like, how could you know that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You just got here. Yeah. Yeah. So Grant just starts speaking nonsense. The sky is a person. Yellow is crowded. Friends are verbs. Sydney cuts him off again, saying he's not going to save the world with a shitty haiku. I was like, all right, that's pretty good. Yeah, that was good. This is when they engage in a nonsense word association back and forth until the sounds of war outside become overwhelming. Sydney says that they're just killing people out there. Grant rises from his seat, shouting that they have to stop killing people. He screams for them to stop and asks everyone to listen once more. So he cured her to the point where she can say kill? Yeah. 
because it doesn't mean kill anymore. Grant is yeah. wow. Yeah, he's Incredible. a fucking incredible. That's why they were paying him the big bucks in yes. <laughs> whatever large market. Pontypool is lucky to have him. Honestly. Oh yeah. <laughs> but he tells them they're killing scared people, like they've always done, like dogs smelling fear and pouncing. But today, he says someone took a buzz saw to their middle and pulled out a wailing devil and spilled it right across their anthill. I don't know what the fuck yeah, that means. You're know. not supposed to. Well, then he's doing a great job. Yeah. He laments that they were never making sense. And today, even when faced with Armageddon, it's just another day in Pontypool. They woke up, did what they normally do, and will go to bed and do the same thing tomorrow. He says today's breaking news is that it's not the end of the world. It's just the end of the day. He signs off, giving the station's name and ending with, I'm Grant Mazzy, and I'm still here, you cocksuckers. Which is a little offensive. Yeah. <laughs> it is, but I, I, I think he meant it in a... You know, you fuckers. Yeah. Anyway, he should have uh, said motherfucker. Don't be so coarse. Yeah. I, I feel like he needed a slow clap yeah. after this. Uh, she just kind of sits there. She yeah. dropped the ball again, to be honest. <laughs> She's like, you're doing a great he job, honey. <laughs> <laughs> but a countdown begins in French from 10, continuing as Sydney rushes into the booth. As it ticks down to one, she pulls Grant in close for one last kill. Their lips meet, and we cut to black. Over the credits... News broadcasts around the country and world recount the events of the Valentine's Day Massacre. The last broadcast comes from England, where the newscaster becomes transfixed, repeating the word Pontypool. In a post-credit scene, in black and white, Grant and Sidney sit at a table, dressed up as snow falls behind them through a window. Grant says they should get out of here, and he can't play by the establishment's rules any longer. They're leaving the world behind to figure out what they believe is black and white. Sidney asks, what about her name? Grant asks what about his, too. She calls him Johnny Deadeyes, and he names her Lisa the Killer. The black and white slowly transitions to color, and she asks where they're going. And while aiming a gun, he says to a new place that isn't here yet. She asks, what about after that? And he says they'll steal the loot and knock boots in the free world, baby. She's up for it, but when she calls him baby, he reaches over and shushes her. We get a title card reading, Finn. He's like, you're not supposed to use terms of it. <laughs> no, uh, was the post credit scene directed by Robert Rodriguez? Because it felt just like Sin City. It really did. It was honestly beautiful mm -hmm. visually, but uh, confusing. Yeah. Does this mean that they lived? Okay, so I, I have two theories. Okay. All right. The first theory I have is that they're taking the nonsense to a new level. It ends even in French with the credit saying Finn. Right. Yeah. So I think it possibly shows them carrying on and making everything something else. Or there's a worse interpretation where Mendez was right and the virus made a leap from language to reality. And now nothing makes sense. Huh. And if nothing makes sense and they're still hiding out in this non-reality, yeah. they got to play along. Well, they look like badasses. They do. Yeah. So, I mean, if that's what non-reality is, I'll be Lisa the Killer. <laughs> yes. She looked fucking fly as fuck. Sign me up, man. Yeah. yeah. Were they in a restaurant? I want to cool eat there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's wearing a fucking, like, I don't know. She, it, it, they looked great. Yeah. <laughs> I will say I found out literally yesterday that there is a spinoff to Pontypool. Really? Yeah. It's got the entire crew, the what? writer, the director, <laughs> the cast. It's called Dreamland, and it came out in 2019, right. and what? it takes place in this post-credit universe. Uh, <laughs> so, and it's yeah. like out? It's a thing? Yeah. Oh, man, I got to check this yeah. out. And they're playing these characters. All right. That's yeah. badass. So I'm very intrigued by that. Right. But 
I have to ask the customary question. What did you guys think of Pontypool? Uh, I did enjoy the movie. Like I said, I'd never seen this before or heard of it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did enjoy it. There are a few problems. You know what I mean? Uh, the the and and you're right it does kind of slow down when the doctor comes and it's just <laughs> but i did enjoy it. it it was a good movie i like i said from the beginning i was i was intrigued mm-hmm. i watched it uh what i thought to myself about that time was like damn you had me in the first half <laughs> but i mean the rest of it is fine you know what i mean but it it, it is a good movie mm-hmm. i liked it too i feel like as confusing as it is that gives you kind of more room to Mm -hmm. speculate like we did. Oh, yeah. It's just a fun conversation to have. And I think the characters, specifically Grant and Sydney, are really compelling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just interesting to watch. Like in the post credits, I I didn't know that that was a thing that I could watch because I was like, I want to see more of this. Yeah. But I really liked it. It was weird as fuck. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And very unique. I I -hmm. can't think of another like version of this already having existed yeah, or anything all, like no. that. I appreciate seeing something that I've never seen before mm-hmm. done kind of in a way that I haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it. It's not perfect. Like we talked about our issues. I don't, I know that the doctor was a necessary character, but part of me almost wishes that he wasn't even in this. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know how it could have worked without him, but I don't know. It did take me out of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think honestly, you could have them just speculating on the wire, right? Maybe. Being like, we think maybe it's this stuff, yeah, yeah. or maybe you know? he even calls in. I feel like the there fact that go. he crawled through the window and is like, "This Guys. is what it is," yeah. and then he's like, "Peace!" Like yeah. I don't know, something about it is a little off. He's yeah. like, I'm, "I'm also hiding in a silo." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that Ken Loney? Oh my god! I don't know. Something about it just didn't really work for me, but I still had a good time. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe. And I like the ending, maybe just in the middle bit leading up to the ending is yeah. they lost me and then they got me back because they had, like you said, oh, they yeah. had me in the first half, oh, I'm not yeah. going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that middle bit was a little, you know, not up to the rest of the movie, I think. I but would agree. I, I still, it's still, I had a good time. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree more. It's just a very neat and interesting idea. The take on, because it is the zombie subgenre. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even if they don't want to use the word and do something different with it. Yeah, yeah. Because these people are being taken over. You know, they're eating fucking people. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's just a very neat way to go about it. It's frightening. It is. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, yeah. like, how the fuck, when you, I think the thing is, is that even in zombie films, you're like, okay, <laughs> don't get bit. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's it. <laughs> don't talk. Don't, don't read. Yeah. Don't yeah. understand. Don't understand. I think that's the hard part. <laughs> Like I had read online that people and this is probably obvious and I, you know, I'm just whatever, but that people said that it all started with that broadcast about the cat. Mm. Huh. Because I mean, the cat's name is Honey. Right. And Honey is missing. Mm-hmm. And missing is the word that Laurel Ann. Laurel Ann was infected right. by. I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's compelling because that is the the way the film opened mm-hmm. was with that and Grant being confused in that broadcast. Yeah. And then he kind of kept saying Pontypool. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. It's And the thing that was weird to me is that the people on the broadcast and the credits were saying like, uh, almost like memorializing Grant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, well, what? Yeah. yeah. What happened? So, I mean, there's a lot to unpack. I, I think that 
even though it's confusing, it is sure is a fun time. It is. <laughs> so I guess that can lead us into ratings. Mm-hmm. I, I think that on the positive side, the, the strongest thing it's got going for it, aside from the performances, is the originality. Oh, yeah. For sure. Never seen anything like this. We'll never see anything like it again, I hope, because then they would be copying. Yeah. Popular. <laughs> <laughs> but Stephen McHattie is like, he does such a great job leading this cast absolutely he's yeah. like uh magnetic yeah and like, having his voice yes yeah. i also think that it's a lot of at least in the first section show don't tell almost hitchcockian yeah, yeah. and i did read that this i intrigued me but the director had said that night of the living dead was obviously a reference point mm-hmm. and he said that he wanted to look at it from a different way because in romero's films you always see the media kind of in the background yeah Mm -hmm. where it's the news like we saw it in dawn of the dead a couple weeks ago right right but he said what about from the standpoint of the news as this shit's coming in that is interesting you know so it's like uh, again not just changing the zombie genre yeah yeah changing perspective right and kind of uh the news that's reporting it doesn't even know what the hell's going on yeah Yeah. so it's like i mean that's interesting in and of itself Mm mm-hmm I didn't really mention it earlier, but I think that the sound design is fantastic in this movie. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every time he spoke, it was much like deeper and mm-hmm. yeah. like authoritative and all the weird ass fucking kin doing a radio drama on his own. <laughs> 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 and of course, the social commentary, which may or may not be true. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know what to tell you, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I do love that post credit scene whichever uh, side you land on. Right, right. Yeah. I think it's very interesting and fantastic. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, on the negative side, like we had said, man, Mendez is over explaining. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a bit of it is a little contradictory and confusing, but the stuff that is confusing in a satisfying way, I appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, I can't get past the weird, like fucking Lawrence of Arabia shit and the brown face. And that the, was a lot yeah. and not, and not a good a lot. No. no. Yeah. I just don't understand what they were going for. A lot of the humor didn't land for me, but then there was a lot of humor that I don't know if it was intentional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That did land. But out of 10 terribly toxic terms, I am going to give Pontypool eight terribly toxic terms out of 10. I think even if you look at that, the negatives, mm-hmm. the positives do far outweigh it. Right. Yeah, and for I, sure. I definitely suggest people watch this film. But I will now open up the floor to you. I I did enjoy this movie a lot. And like you said, if you haven't seen it, uh, watch it. Because very it it is an original idea and, and it plays well. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the Lawrence of Arabia thing was very... <laughs> I, I didn't understand. Uh, he did. The doctor did over explain a bit. Maybe if it was like, like you said, babe, maybe if he called in and then gave like a short explanation maybe, real quick. And or then, speculation. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, but it's like what's going on and then leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was a lot. Um, I did enjoy it though. Like I said, by the time he seen that lady, I was like, oh, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was like, this is great. Uh, but yeah, I, I felt the same way. The middle, the middle bit kind of was like, eh, and then it picked right back up. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of fun talking about it. I would watch this movie again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me on a scale from one to 10, terribly toxic terms, I'm going to give Pontypool a 7.5. 
All okay. right. I did enjoy the movie, but that, like I said, that bit was, it was, it was a lot. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just like, come on, man. I was like, you were doing so good. <laughs> I was like, what happened? Uh, looking at my notes here, I forgot to mention that I did read that when Ken called in and he's talking about the car and you hear all that shit in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it sounds from the chest burster scene in Alien. What? Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking cool. That's yeah. Wonderful. I Isn't like that, that crazy? A lot. I know. Uh, I meant to mention that, and I did not because I was caught up in the craziness. <laughs> but um, no, I think I already said how I feel like this is almost. I don't know, just the fact that I had never heard of it before it was recommended to us. It almost feels like it's a secret, mm-hmm. and I know obviously it's not because people recommended it, and it's yeah. a fucking. You said it's like a cult classic. Yeah, at this I, point, I. Uh, it was a secret from me, I guess. <laughs> and so like stumbling upon it and finding something so unique and fucking weird, but in a good way, yeah. it's almost, it feels special. And I appreciate everyone that recommended it because <laughs> I, this was nowhere near my radar. I had never even fucking heard of it before. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, everything that I said about it being unique, that the acting really shines oh, yeah. because in a movie so closed off like they're in this radio station for the entire film Mm -hmm. if the acting is lacking this is immediately cheesy yeah it doesn't work like everybody had to be committed and really bring it and i feel they like they did even ken on the phone yeah like everybody fucking understood the assignment (laughs) and they did what they were supposed to do cons again the blackface brown face fucking lawrence of arabia shit i don't understand any of that um and I feel horribly for the doctor. <laughs> There's something off to me about it. I don't, I can't fully pin down what it is, but it didn't work for me. He's too excited He's, too. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And uh, maybe that, maybe I want it if he was more traumatized or more, oh my God, so that's what happens. He's like, yeah, oh, I get it. That's yeah. what fucking happens. <laughs> fucking like, popcorn. Yeah, yeah. You're too this is not a spectator sport right even from a detached scientific perspective you should be horrified because that could literally be you in five minutes no yeah. you're right but and it just happened this morning yes. yeah no yes. you're right you're this right. isn't something you've been studying your whole career no, you're and now right. i've been telling people and now it's happening like no this is just happening yeah. to all of us in real time and you're snacking <laughs> yeah. like i i don't i he didn't work for me he's like look at this freaky shit yeah. <laughs> But the good does far outweigh the bad. And I, on a scale from one to 10, terribly toxic terms, I also gave Pontypool an eight. Hmm. Uh, I gave it a little bit extra just for the originality. Oh, yeah. Because I really fucking appreciate seeing something that I have. I can say I've never seen this before. Mm-hmm. No. But now I'm definitely going to have to check out that oh, Dreamland. Oh, yeah. 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 I want to know what if it, because they had planned, that was what annoyed me about the commentary, is they did nothing but sit there and talk about their plans for Pontypool 2 and 3. Yeah. And I'm like, but what about this film? Then? I yeah. did, <laughs> I did read that it was a planned trilogy. Yeah. And that 2 and 3 were plotted out before 1 was. Well, huh. that, that makes just as much sense yeah. as a lot so, of the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Reading that, it makes sense that they're like, but yeah. like, in 2 and 3. No. Like, Hold on. But maybe we should start with one first. So maybe eat your dinner before you have your yeah. dessert. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate Pontypool and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. 
Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at RealStreeter84. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Wendigo Gitter patrons. And remember, be careful what you say. While words have the ability to heal, they also have the power to harm. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned. We want to give a very special thank you to all of our Wendigo Gitter patrons. Hey, hey thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Melanie Van Huston, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Guy54, Lala Thomas, Travis and Nisa Hunter, Miguel Myers, ATX, Mandy, Jennifer Perez, Pierre Lombard, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Andy Teague, Appelin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Linda, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Jonathan Booth, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rizak, Molly Gerhardt, Armand Spasto, Aaron Aguirre, Eggy, William Barry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Garrett Rogers, Jordan Roberts, Danielle Peralta, Dylan, Melissa Sierra, Holly Bryan, Alex Schultz, Jordan Blevins, Michelle Moore, Liz Heath, Spencer Montalvo, Pancake the Panda, and Michael Newding. Thank you all so much. Woo! Oh, yeah. Got a little crack in there. Yeah, I'm very excited. <laughs> Nazzy in the morning. It was yeah. <laughs> we want to thank you all for all your support and just let you know that you are all too ponty cool for school. All right. <laughs> that was good. I did my best. <laughs> Until next time, folks. <laughs>